Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is the Sons of UCF podcast, your place for UCF sports talk year-round. Now, here is Adam and Mike. Greetings, Night Nation. You have found the 125th edition of the Sons of UCF podcast. My name is Adam, and as always, my good friend and yours, Mr. UCF Mike, is with me for yet another week. Greetings, Mike. How are you? Doing great, man. Seeing that we're finally getting some recognition. We're getting we're turning famous now. We made it into the Pegasus magazine. Have we officially arrived now after 125 episodes? Maybe. I mean, first of all, they, they congratulated us on our 100th episode. So uh, a little little behind, but don't worry. They have 25 to catch up on, and they're all 25 great episodes. Uh, and the fact that neither one of us realized we were in the magazine initially until someone told us probably says we're not as famous as we think we are. But certainly was an awesome, uh, awesome thing to see. So if you get the, the Pegasus Alumni Magazine, uh, Mike and I are listed there under the 2002 class. And uh, uh, very grateful to uh, to be mentioned there. That was awesome. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's coming up on 20 years now, 2002. We're in 2021. Next year, we, do we have to do something special for the uh, 20-year anniversary? Do we even do reunions and stuff like that for college? I don't know. That's a great question. These are all questions I don't have answers to, but maybe I will find them during the course of the show, which, hey, by the way, you should be glad that you tuned into because we have a, an action-packed uh, show for you this evening. As always, we'll have Cal of the Week coming up in a few minutes. Uh, we have uh, an update on the greatest plays in UCF history brackets 
If you're not following uh, UCF Mike on Twitter at UCF Mike one, or if you're not in the dungeon, Mike has painstakingly gone through a 64 play bracket. Uh, and I think he's broken down most of the first round here. So we'll get to those results in a little bit, but it's been a ton of fun to relive some of those plays. We're getting a lot of people who are commenting and, and enjoying the trip down memory lane. So we'll, we'll update everyone on the brackets where we are and maybe preview some upcoming matchups. And then we have uh, we have headlines as well. We'll get you caught up on what's going on on UCF. And then don't miss our interview with Sharif Rashad, one of the most consistent, Mike, one of just the one of the best guys at UCF, a, a four year guy, really a five year guy, um, was a part of a lot of great teams. He was fantastic. He told some great stories, some really good perspective on football then, football now, uh, and, and his experience at UCF and his experience uh, since he's been an alum uh, for the football program. So a lot of great stuff. And if all that doesn't warrant us a five-star rating out of you people, then I don't know what else we can do around here. Seriously. <laughs> I'm done begging for the ratings, but I'm not going to need to after this week because Sharif Rashad really came strong with the interview. And I always was a big fan of his. I wonder if it's just because he had such a unique name, but he, it seemed like Eric Kohler was always crediting him with a tackle or an interception at the stadium. So his name always stuck in my head after a game. He's just one of those players when I was watching his highlights after, you know, we, we knew we were going to have him on, you know, you, you forget about all like the little things he did. Um, and, and you look at his stats and, you know, a hundred tackles in one season and 14 interceptions in his career. And you, you, you think back like how important he was to UCF uh, and how consistent he was and just how, uh, how much of a sort of a dynamic player he was. So it was great to catch up with him. You guys aren't going to want to miss that, Mike. But uh, make sure let's do this stuff off the top. Here's some housekeeping. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media channels. That's at Sons of UCF. So search that everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, again, Mike is on, uh, on Twitter at UCFMike1. Make sure you follow the YouTube page because you'll have exclusive videos that we post there. Some, sometimes our good buddy Trace Troco is able to get some, uh, some exclusive conversations. Those are posted there as well. You can also find the Suns UCF live shows there. So that's a Thursday evening internet-only broadcast, 8 p.m., wherever you get to your social media stuff, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, so check us out there. We'll be back live this Thursday. We'll break down a bunch of stuff, Mike, including... We have spring practice, and uh, Gus Malzahn and, and the crew there did something a little bit unique, Mike, this past Saturday. An open practice. They opened the, the stands, opened the gates, and said, everybody, come on in. And even though the weather wasn't great, looks like they had a, a pretty decent crowd, Mike, but, uh, but some open practice stuff. So we finally got some news and notes. Some people were able to, to see some stuff and take some notes and make some uh, mental observations, Mike. So let's start right there off the top. Uh, what did you learn? Anything you read, anything you saw about the, uh, the open practice that was interesting, surprising, or, or good to see from your perspective? Well, it was cool that that even happened. And we haven't seen something like that since O'Leary was here. So it's cool that Malzahn wants to connect with the fans. And like he said, kind of give them ownership in the program again and being able to go out to watch practice. That's, that's very cool. Not every school gives you that opportunity. So I hope people are able to take advantage of that. Uh, I know a bunch of our guys like Cossack Advisor out there taking notes and producing some videos for us. So it was very cool, man. I, I enjoyed watching some of that stuff. And, you know, there's only so much you can tell from watching a clip here and there uh, for me. But if you get a chance to go out there and if you live in the Orlando area, I don't see why you wouldn't. The only reason I wouldn't go to that because it's three hours away. But if I'm if I'm up there on a Saturday morning, I'd love to go to a practice. Yeah, again, a lot of people were taking some notes. Um, 
and just talking through what they saw. And obviously, you don't know what you know what you know UCF was going to show. Were they going to show everything? Were they just kind of running through the motions? Obviously, they were sort of running a regular practice. Uh, um, so it's maybe you know wasn't everything they had on display. Something that everyone should note though is that uh, the transfers. So all the transfers that essentially have come under the Gus Malzahn regime, if you will. Um, none of those guys are, are practicing. None of those guys are eligible to play just yet. So uh, those guys were not part of it. So if you're looking for, you know, for, for Big Cat, or you're looking for Mark Anthony Richards or uh, any of those guys, um, they, they were not available, Mike. But I think the, the biggest thing, the name that I read the most from those who were there, uh, and, and uh, even Gus Malzahn was asked about it afterwards, was a transfer who did get there early enough, actually came under the Hypo regime, and that's Brandon Johnson, Mike. He's the, the Tennessee transfer. His name popped up a lot, and a lot of folks were saying he was really consistent, made a lot of good catches, um, you know, didn't look like the fastest or the sort of the speediest guy. But uh, I saw a lot of positive things about Brandon Johnson uh, from the uh, the Saturday practice. Well, that's a good thing. Like we've been saying for the last couple of weeks now with this staff, they have no pre- preconceived notions about who was already here last year. So this guy is coming in, and he has a chance right away to make an impression. And it looks like that's what he did on – this first week of practice. So, I mean, every week there may be somebody new. And that was the name that popped up this week. And maybe for week two, you're going to find somebody else that maybe you didn't expect to start making a big impression on everybody. And spring uh, spring ball is kind of that place, Mike, where, you know, every now and again a name leaks out that we hadn't heard. I mean, I can remember vividly 2018. We kept, we kept hearing about this kid named Greg McRae, who we'd seen a little bit on the field in 2017. But he, you know, he was "quote unquote" the breakout of spring camp, and obviously you saw what what that led to. Um, so, you know, it's it's not impossible to kind of see where where you know a guy maybe takes some strides in, in spring. But it was good at least to to, to see you know the, the team out there. We saw some throw, some throws from Dylan Gabriel, some of the receivers. Uh, you know, we saw the guys who were um, you know maybe targeted first. Mike, the running back spot obviously is something that is very much up for debate, right? Who RB one will end up being? Looks like Bentavious Thompson got a lot of those carries early on. But uh, um, Costec Advisor chime, uh, chiming in saying that R.J. Harvey looks like he was a big part of that group as well. He was the transfer from Virginia last year. So um, it certainly would be interesting to see and, and, and as these practices go on. And it sounds like, like every Saturday, um, best I can tell from the schedule, that they'll have these open practices. So we may be able to kind of see week from week to week uh, how some of this stuff changes. Obviously, with the first, uh, the first week kind of being more of an install week and more of a getting-to-know-you week, uh, as time goes on, Malzahn even said specifically week one is kind of acclimation. You know, it's kind of more about guys just getting out there. And week two is when they start to really sort of figure out who, maybe from a depth chart standpoint, who's going to get more reps and who's going to be with what group. So yeah, I'll be curious to see how, how these things evolve as we get to weeks two and week three. All right. I was listening to coach T will today and he's saying week two is the week where you really find out who loves football. The first week, it's easy for everybody to get out there. Everybody's excited. It's new. Everybody's pumped up. But the second week, now that things have settled in, and you're really going to find out who wants to be there every day and who wants to put in that effort every day. So this week is a huge week for all the kids at practice. Yeah, the only thing I didn't like that I saw a few different places, Mike, from a bunch of the people who were there was uh, you were reading a lot about a lot of drops a lot of drops from the receiving core, um, which obviously was a bit of a challenge last year. Um, so hopefully that's something that just kind of gets cleaned up as they get more used to playing with each other in a new system. You know, some of these guys maybe didn't get a, a lot of reps last year, but uh, I was reading about some drops by Coden. Hopefully, hopefully we get that out of our system early. Right. And maybe some of that is nerves. Like we just said, to trying to make an impression, maybe trying to do a little too much 
maybe turning their head upfield before they need to and just not focusing on the ball. So maybe that's all it was. Maybe that gets settled down now that they've had another week. Another name that I, I saw pop up a bunch was um, uh, Devad Wilson. His name kind of kept coming up. People were talking about him uh, kind of being a leader back there, really being a vocal guy, running around, flying around, making plays. Uh, obviously with a young secondary, Mike, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see who's able to come out and, um, you know, sort of make – you know, make make their name or, or kind of stake their claim as the leader. Uh, you know, losing a guy like Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson, two guys who were kind of stalwarts back there. There's kind of a void, uh, if you will, from a leadership standpoint and from uh, sort of that that main guy from the from the defensive backfield. So curious to see if that ends up being Devod Wilson, but his name uh, surfaced a bunch uh, through some of the comments I was reading. Well, the talent we know for sure is there. He was highly recruited coming out of high school. I believe he was a four star going. He went to Georgia. When he came over, we saw flashes. He didn't get to play until late in the year. But when he did get in there, he you heard his name a couple times per game. So he looks like he may be the guy that takes that next step. He may be the, the leader in the secondary this next year. Well, again, overall, it sounds like it was a pretty positive experience. I mean, again, you can always nitpick a practice and nitpick that apart. Uh, afterwards, uh, I thought the most interesting thing that's been said a few times, Mike, and I don't, I don't know how to take it. I guess it makes some sense, but Malzahn made a, a point of saying it as his press conference uh, after the practice on Saturday. And you mentioned T. Will. He mentioned it today during his press availability that a lot of these guys weren't in shape. And that sort of that month off in between uh, sort of the Hypo staff leaving and all those guys leaving and, and Malzahn and, and Dawson and the new strength staff getting in, that these guys weren't, you know, really weren't working out very hard. I, th- I found it interesting. What do you make of, of him, you know, consistently kind of saying, hey, we got to get our guys in shape? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with how they were training last year, too. We, we just spoke to Brendan Hayes and he talked about the difference of the training from the Frost staff to the Hypo staff. Maybe that hypo training staff i mean they train guys a certain way but they trained everybody to work quickly and probably a lot more conditioning and not enough strength and maybe that's the same thing that malzahn staff is seeing here maybe these guys are not up to speed on the strength so far in the first week or two and i mean when you when you don't have a a coach there for a few weeks that that probably made a big difference too so when everybody left and we were kind of in flux for a couple weeks maybe that had an impact on the kids but now we have one of the best trainers in college football on our side. So hopefully that can get squared away. Yeah. Not that I expect these guys to say anything different, but you know, the love fest has continued really for Malzahn and for the staff. I mean, uh, uh, Bethune and, uh, and Sam Jackson were at the mic today for open, open media. And they both were talking lovingly about the staff and how much fun it's been. Uh, they talked about coach Dawson and how much he's brought Mike. So at least the, the love fest continues, which again, you know, would you expect these guys to say anything different? But uh, so far in terms of the transition, uh, it, it all seems to be going pretty well. I mean, obviously we don't know what's happening behind the scenes yet. And, you know, we'll wait and see what happens after depth charts are released and, you know, and maybe people lose spots. They thought they had, maybe that'll cause some, you know, some ruffles here and there. But uh, so far the love fest continues. Everyone seems to really be on the Gus bus and, and the T will train and whatever other words you want to put together that, uh, that maybe have the alliteration there. Right. And also what Gus is doing may just be uh, trying to inspire the guys, try to get them a little more into it too. I mean, he may say that they're out of shape just so that they'll come in the next day and work a little harder. He knows that the kids will hear that and maybe it gets in some of their heads. Did you see T will on that scooter, by the way, with, uh, 
strolling with with Sammy. He was on the scooter. He was in the car. Did you, did you see the energy from T Will? I mean, I feel whatever <laughs> that guy's got. If he could just bottle it, and and I could take like a shot of it a day, I feel like I would just dominate the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you could handle that. I don't think yeah, I could. Like, I mean, no. yeah, they're talking about vaccines. I need some of the some of whatever T Will has because he seems like he just gets up and is ready to, you know, bench press a, a Ford Bronco. I mean, he just seems like he's ready to go. Yeah, he's a walking B twelve shot, that guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, that's great. It's great for the players too because they seem to love it and they seem to feed off it so far. So, and, and guys like that are authentic. You can't fake that. Right. Anybody can come in and try to act like that for a day. But after a while, that's either who you are or it's not. And it seems to be who this guy is. So I think that's a great thing for the players to see. Yeah. Again, so far, everything's kind of lovingly uh, looking, looking positive. Right. We head into week two of the spring practices. Again, UCF keeping the same schedule Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday was Saturday, allegedly uh, sort of an open practice. Uh, I know media was able to to take some pictures today, Monday, uh, a little bit of a rainy day. The guys are still outside. I don't think they're all, they're eligible to be there on Wednesday, uh, but we may see some stuff on on Friday and Saturday. Uh, it sounds like you know from what Malzahn said, Mike, not not a ton of install took place. I mean, some of the basic stuff, uh, and so maybe that's that's more the focus this week and kind of figuring out the depth chart. But you know, things are moving along. We're still uh, we're really just a handful of weeks away now from uh, from the spring game, and then kind of kind of the break after that. And, uh, and, and we'll see sort of what, uh, what transpires. But um, all in all, as you sit here sort of two weeks into the official Gus Malzahn era, do you have any concerns or is there anything that's bothering UCF, Mike, about where we are right now as a football program? No, I feel great about where we are. I think we're better off today than we were when we walked out of that stadium in Boca a couple months ago. I think the trajectory is pointed in the right direction. I think we got the guy here that – that can take this program to the next level and Gus Malls on, and I think he's ready to do it. So I'm very excited about where UCF football is headed. Then a quick update. We talked last week, Mike. You asked me if Kansas had an, an athletic director yet. doesn't seem like they do yet, but it seems like Mohajer is, is – uh, his name has not really been brought up anymore. So any instability that may have you know, been, uh, been worried about at that point seems to be squashed. So hopefully we have our sort of our power structure on the football and uh, the AD side – Moving forward, I think that's uh, that'll be huge for um, obviously for the program. Um, let's talk hoops for just a quick second, Mike. We uh, we were talking Monday night, Monday afternoon. The uh, the women's hoops team was in San Antonio for a first round matchup against the Northwestern Wildcats, and uh, a hard fought game, Mike. Uh, a, a tough game, um, but unfortunately UCF ends up on the wrong side of the scoreboard uh, and they lose their first round matchup to Northwestern. Uh, so their uh, their 2020-2021 season has come to an end. Yeah, a little disappointing. It was a very good year for the girls, a very respectable record, and got to the dance, which is not something we've done too many times. We're still searching for that first win, and we know how long it took the men to finally get one done. So hopefully we're building towards the right thing, and hopefully Coach Abe is here to stay. That's the one thing that I'm concerned about with the, all the success that we've had with the basketball program and somebody's going to come try to take her away and, and most likely Tennessee because we know Danny White's relationship with her, but hopefully she can stay here and keep building this thing and keep improving the program. And next year we'll be back in the dance and get that first one. 62 51 was the final Mike. Probably the most concerning thing besides the loss was uh, sort of UCF's uh, star player diamond battles 
goes down with a right knee injury. Looked pretty serious. Uh, she did not reenter the game. She was on the bench, uh, sort of propped up with a brace on it. Uh, so you hate to speculate on what that might look like, but if you've watched a lot of football, you've seen a lot of uh, or basketball, you've seen a lot of uh, similar injuries. So hopefully, all turns out well. But a, a tough way to end the season, not only with a loss, but uh, now with your sort of your best player um, potentially facing a, a long injury road ahead. Uh, certainly added a little bit of uh, salt to the wound on on that one. Yeah, some, you never want to see something like that. These kids work so hard all year, year round. It's not just during basketball season. They were all year training. And then, of course, going to school and being a, a student athlete at the same time, they put so much effort into it. And then to have an injury like that, it, it's really hard to see. But, you know, she's going to battle her way through it. All in all, though, a, a great season for, for the women's team. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the cow has posed a bit of a challenge this year and was it was a hurdle we weren't able to, to sort of cross from a conference championship standpoint. Uh, but obviously we saw the potential the team has. We saw what the conference looks like now with UConn not in the picture. Uh, and so it certainly bodes well to, to be wide open. Uh, and, uh, and we'll see how Coach Abe can continue to, to build on, on the success they've had. Um, you know, are they able to sort of keep that trajectory going forward? You know, what does that look like, uh, you know, to your point, Mike, from a coaching standpoint? Um, but certainly you got to feel good about it, um, you know, if you're a UCF fan. I mean, you probably feel better. I mean, I don't know. Is this – well, I guess we'll talk about this next. But do you feel better about the women's program or the men's program, basketball-wise? <sighs> well, coming off this season, I think it's hard to say anything but the women. Like uh, we talked about the last couple of weeks, I, I kind of found this – men's season to be a little disappointing this year especially after the hot start we got off to uh, so it seems like the women and you just mentioned it too with UConn being out of this conference we are right there we're at the top of this conference we were the number two team this year and we have a chance to be the number one in the next year or two with basketball we're more towards the middle with the men's we're more towards the middle of the pack and fighting our way to the top that's where we want to be in that top three with Houston and Memphis and Wichita, we're not quite there yet. So I, I have to say I feel better about the women right now, today. But I do believe to, just today, right, did we sign a four-star recruit for well, basketball? We sure did, Mike. I'm glad you segued that. So over the weekend, uh, Taylor and Tyler Hendricks, who are fraternal twins out of uh, Calvary Christian down there in your neck of the woods, Mike, in Fort Lauderdale, um, have uh, their class of 2022 guys. They have both verbally committed to UCF. Now, Taylor is a 6'8", 195-pound power forward. He is a four-star commit. He's the uh, 82nd-ranked player nationally. Uh, Tyler is 6'5", 170, more of a guard. He does not yet have any stars next to his name, so I don't know what his rating would be. But obviously the big get here is a four-star guy in Taylor Hendricks. That makes two back-to-back recruiting cycles, Mike, that Johnny has reeled in a four-star player. Um, so we'll see what that what that means. Obviously, we we have to get this guy to the court still. We we still got a, a long way to go before he's born black and gold. But uh, he he commits early uh, to come to UCF, and uh, and that's obviously uh, a big maybe a big sign for the future. I know we talked about Johnny on our live show and whether or not he was kind of going to be in it for the long haul, and do we need to make a change? You got to give him credit, Mike. He's found some young talent. He got Isaiah Adams. He got Jamil Reynolds again. The four star guys coming in twenty one and twenty two right now. Um, you can't ask for much, much more from a recruiting perspective. Are these the Graham brothers all over again? Is that what we're saying? One guy with a lot of talent and the other guy, maybe that's why we got the first, the big guy, is because we agreed to take his brother. Something like you know, how the Shaquem and Shaquille Griffin ended up at UCF. 
And it turned out that the guy that you brought along for the ride, the second brother, Shaquem, turned out to be a Hall of Famer. So who knows what we can get out of the second brother here. But great news. The recruiting has picked up, and it has for the last couple of years. But now what you have to do with that is win ball games. So we're getting the guys on campus. We're getting them here. We're getting Mr. Florida basketball to, to come to UCF. Now we have to do something with it, and now we got to start – being serious contenders in this conference and and making uh, an appearance in the dance more than once every 10 years. And obviously UCF, you know, fought off some big-time programs who were after uh, at least Taylor Hendricks, the four-star recruit, um, so held off some big-time programs. And, you know, it's it certainly, you know, we give Johnny a bunch of crap every now and again, but, you know, again, you, you got to consider you also brought in C.J. Walker, who was a transfer, right? I mean, as much as, you know, that's not necessarily a traditional recruit. Um, he had to obviously recruit him, you know, to come to UCF. So, uh, you know, he's, he's brought in the, the star talents, if you will. And I mean, star from a rating perspective. Now it's time to see if we can put it all together on the court. Uh, obviously we, um, you know, we had a bunch of things happen this year. I think we were playing really good ball down the stretch, Mike, but, uh, so Johnny lands a, a big fish and, and, you know, maybe we'll see what his brother pans out to be. His brother seems to be more of a shooter, uh, where, where Taylor seems to be more of an inside sort of post player. So, uh, you never know. Those shooters get hot if you're watching the tournament uh, as it's going on right now, Mike. Shoot or shoot. And uh, you see somebody like a Buddy Bayheim all of a sudden change a game for a, for a program like Syracuse. Uh, if, if Taylor and, and Tyler can do anything like that, you know, UCF's in a good spot. Yep, and it only takes one or two guys to come in and change the whole trajectory of your basketball program. We've said that before. We, we seem to have a couple guys here now with Adams and Reynolds and Darren Green guys that look like they have superstar potential and now we get add one or two more of those guys and hopefully this team takes the turn that we needed to all right let's go let's go to the diamond mike the uh, the baseball team has has turned it around a little bit they had obviously a, a tough uh, uh sweep at home at the hands of liberty and they've bounced back they won two uh three out of four against north florida and they took three out of four against uh, three out of four against Jacksonville. Excuse me. Uh, so they've they've at least kind of made a bit of a rebound now nine and ten overall. Um, and so the sky is not yet falling, Mike. And you said this in the live show. We have not yet even started our conference season. Uh, we have Florida State in a midweek game coming up here this week, and then we have Troy uh, that we'll be heading to uh, before we um, and then Jacksonville for one random game, and then we get into the the meat of the schedule for the conference beginning April first, Mike. So. Nine and ten now for uh, your your baseball nights. Uh, where are you at with you know, their performance? I mean, ten nothing shutout on Sunday is a, is a good way to put a W on the board. Playing a lot better, and you forgot to mention even a win against FAU last week. And FAU yep. is a solid team. We evened up the season series with them two apiece. So I, I like the way the guys are playing now. We got guys busting out of slumps like Pablo Ruiz did this weekend. That's a great sign now. And I, I said last week, if we can get back to 500 before we start conference play, then we'd be in a good spot. We're only a game under right now with, I believe, what, five to go. So if we go three and two in that, in that stretch, I, I think we'll be okay. And then we start the conference play and go from there. And we start off with the Cows, which is a good matchup for us to start this way. You know, the, the way the team's playing a lot better now, maybe we can beat the Cows up for a couple of games. Yeah, first seven on the road, three, uh, three in Tampa, and then four um, against the, the Bearcats before we uh, we head home for uh, a four game tilt. So, definitely still some some time for the baseball team to turn it around. I know it was a bit of a rocky start, Mike. 
but uh, they definitely have some uh, some time to turn that around too. Uh, a couple of news notes and nuggets that are kind of uh, flowing around out there. Um, Terry Mohodger sent a note out to uh, sort of talk through the spring game and what to be expected and all that stuff, Mike. And he made mention that they're planning on a 100% capacity for the bounce house this year. Obviously, a lot of things need to take place from a, a public health and safety standpoint, Mike. But uh, they're they're sort of talking and leaning towards uh, trying to get 100% capacity uh, back at the bounce house, which obviously will be good for a few different reasons if we can do it safely. But uh, that, that certainly is something to look forward to is, you know, kind of back to quote unquote normal uh, game day experiences coming up in the near future. That's the plan right now that hopefully will happen and get everybody back in there. Um, I heard rumors today that it may be coming out soon that the opener against Boise state is going to be a Thursday night, yeah. which uh, as I, I don't like, I prefer a Friday personally, but either way, that'd be nice. I mean, I'll just have to take Friday off and maybe leave work a little early or something on Thursday to make it up to the game. Um, but exciting to think that i'll even be able to do that whereas last year i didn't even give a thought of going to any games because of covid and all that so now that there's a possibility we're still how many months out like another six months ago seven uh, months yes. ago yep. six months so i mean it's getting closer man and that's good news i know the spring game we're only allowed 25 percent, and it's a noon game so that's kind of hard to get excited about but when things really kick off for real in September, hopefully we'll all be in our regular seats for that one. Um, you said kick off. Uh, something else I saw that has been floating around the interwebs this weekend on uh, on social media. Uh, it appears, Mike, that UCF has offered a transfer kicker by the name of Christian Zendejas from uh, Arizona State. Um, I don't, you don't think he's accepted or anything yet. It looks like he has two years of eligibility left. Uh, he was a Lou Garosa semifinalist. He was a bowl game MVP. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, um, what do you make of, of maybe, and I don't know if uh, obviously Gus must have interest if we allegedly offered this guy, Mike, uh, the kicking game, maybe getting a boost if we're able to pick up a, a kicking transfer, which seems kind of out of the ordinary, but um, hey, we'll take it, right? Yeah, we'll definitely take it. And we've talked about special teams on here many times ad nauseum, really. And the kicking game has been a big part of that. We saw we lost the game against Memphis on a field goal. We've talked about the kicking out of bounds for the last couple of years. The kicking game can use an improvement, and competition is always good. If this kid is w- willing to come here, he seems like he is a good kicker. And you just mentioned he was an MVP of the bowl game. That tells me he probably hit a couple big-time <laughs> field goals, maybe even a game winner. I don't even know who they played in their bowl or if they won, but it sounds like they did, and he had a big part of it. So uh, anybody to come in here and – push obarski or even get obarski out of here that'd be a good sign (laughs) wow i mean the obarski hate is is strong huh uh yeah i mean again yeah i think pushing is 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 important Uh, listen it's no secret that the kicking game was a tad unreliable last year i think there were moments of time when we trotted out the kicker that we were all kind of collectively holding our breath um so a veteran guy who you know appears to have a, a pretty strong leg and appears to be pretty accurate He's got experience, obviously, kicking in, in some relative big games in the Pac-12. You know, maybe uh, maybe that helps us out, too. So Gus is certainly staying active in the portal, Mike. I mean, he mentioned it during his press conference and that, you know, he, he obviously can't speak directly about it. But, you know, he doesn't see any reason why kids won't want to come to play here in Orlando and UCF. And 
so far he's he's been true to his word mike he's definitely out there um you know finding finding guys and 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 making offers uh you know we've had a few commits so far but obviously the the 2022 class is still kind of coming together um but it'll be interesting to see how much uh i guess how much interest there is for other guys as as after spring ball kind of breaks free i I think that's when you'll see uh, some additional movement for some guys you know will gus continue to stay active at that point we'll see well, I mean, it says a lot that he, after a couple of practices, he went straight to the portal and trying to get somebody in to kick this year. Not talking about a recruit for the next year after that. So I, I think he's seen what he, I mean, he's probably seen enough after a couple of games, after a couple of practices that, and, and he wants to get somebody maybe with some more experience and some more accuracy. Well, I thought, I thought I'd read someplace, and, and I should probably look this up, but I, I don't have time. Uh, I thought I read someplace that Obarski was hurt, and he wasn't um, he wasn't kicking. I don't know if he was out for a practice or if he's been out since. Um, I don't know if uh, we should probably confirm that, but uh, especially if, if we have some some issues of depth, if Obarski's hurt, and you know who knows what the injury is, maybe bring in some some size and some depth doesn't uh, doesn't hurt anybody, right? And it never hurts to have too many guys walking around the campus who can put it between the uprights. No, and. I mean, who knows if we have some kind of former soccer stuff. Maybe we should have an open competition, an open practice or tryout for kids on campus. I'm sure there's somebody on there that can kick a field goal. I mean, we got 70,000 students, whatever it is. You tell me not one of them was a, a big-time soccer player in high school. Maybe you can convert into a field goal kicker. I don't know. That but, happens all the time, right? Well, I don't know, but we had a kid who plays for Ohio. Um, they just got uh, bounced tonight, but apparently he was just a regular student at UCF, and now he's a starting point guard. And he's an NBA prospect, so he was just sitting in econ class, and all of a sudden now he's starting in March Madness uh, for the Ohio Bobcats. So I guess anything's possible, right? If if Jason Preston can can make it to the league from you know econ one hundred and one at UCF, uh, I guess anything's possible. That's what I'm talking about. Our campus is so huge. We have so many kids. There's probably so many talented kids out there that got passed over and didn't want to go kick for a, a smaller school and said, let me just go to UCF for the education. Maybe they're out there and they've been overlooked and maybe there's a kicker somewhere walking around campus. There's probably a kicker walking around somewhere. And if they are walk your way onto the field, because again, competition um, certainly, certainly will not hurt Mike. Uh, that's a quick little uh, run around the, the sort of the news and notes. Not much too terribly uh, news really happening uh, right around these times. Uh, obviously the basketball season is both now coming to an end football uh, spring practice kind of in just getting get kicked off, kicked off no pun intended baseball in full swing so we got a few things going on but pretty pretty quiet week from that perspective but what has not been quiet mike is march madness both on the field or the court i guess and in the brackets on the internets and uh UCF mike has done yeoman's work here on this and uh, and we'll explain more about that coming up right after this don't go anywhere we are the sons of ucf Mike and Adam, sons of UCF, that'll move those chains. That's good enough for another UCF first down. All right, before we start this segment, I think each and every one of you out there needs to stop and just give UCF Mike a very big thank you. Go ahead, everybody. I'll I'll give you a minute. Okay, because uh, Mike went through 64 plays in UCF history, put them all in a bracket, ranked them, rated them, 
and he is painstakingly stuck with sending out Twitter polls and, and dungeon message board polls for each of the of the different um, different matchups. And there's a lot that's going under that. He's keeping track of the tallies. He's trying to figure out the scores and the results. He's losing his mind when it's not going his way. Uh, but uh, we're we are officially, I think, now, Mike, through round one. Do I have that right? I'm looking at your sheet here. I think we're either through round one or all the round one polls have been released. Is that right? We are very close. I have two matchups that have not been released. I haven't had time to uh, cut up the videos for those two. I plan on doing them maybe by tomorrow morning, so all of round one will be done. But there are two matchups that have not been released yet. They are the four seed versus 13, Joe Burnett punt return touchdown against Tulsa, against Marlon Williams um, running over some Bearcats. And the other 413 matchup, which is Bobby Joe Plains' first touchdown in school history against Bam Moore's interception against LSU. Those are the last two to be released. They'll be released in the next couple hours, and then we'll be done with round one. Well, let's go through some of the results so far. We won't go through all these, but we'll, we'll touch on some of the uh, maybe the upsets. So this is the Mike Hughes bracket, Mike. Uh, uh, he's the number one seed, probably number one seed overall in the tournament. Uh, really, that bracket, no surprise, no real upset. I guess the only upset really by – Statistical measures would be the the ten seven Blake Bortles rushing TD against Baylor um, beat out the Jordan Ozerites INT to beat the Cows in twenty thirteen. Everything else in that bracket um, remained shock, including what I consider the upset of the century because I I buried this guy. I buried him. I apologize to his family. Um, I almost sent them like chocolates and like you know flowers and candies and stuff. But Franco Grilla and his game winning kick against Youngstown State in nineteen ninety. By virtue of a, a heavy push uh, in the dungeon, I think it is, took out the Shaquem Griffin INT against Temple in 2017. Like, I did not have that one. You knew that was my big upset. Uh, I was surprised at that result. Yep. And in a couple of cases, the dungeon has had to come in and straighten out the Twitter folks. Twitter seems to be leaning a lot more towards the recent plays where in the dungeon you get a lot of the older fans that, maybe can appreciate the history a little more. And that's kind of what happened here. It happened in this case and it happened a couple other times when we talk about, but um, good to see Franco Grilla get through the first round. He's going to have a tough matchup now. And the next round, he's going to go up against Latavius Murray's touchdown against Georgia in the Liberty bowl, the first ever bowl win. I don't know if he makes it through this one. Yeah, there's some tough round two matchups uh, in that Mike Hughes bracket. Hughes is now going to face KZ flipping into the end zone against Memphis. I think Hughes is safe there, but I'm curious to see what kind of what kind of result uh, the KZ can uh, can maybe put up uh, on that one. But I, I feel like he's probably pretty safe uh, in, in that round. Um, let's go to the the Bortles to Godfrey bracket, Mike. That's the number one overall seed, the 2013 uh, touchdown pass and catch uh, against Louisville. Uh, a couple of upsets in this bracket here. You've got the nine seed Otis Anderson screen pass against the Cows. Took out Storm Johnson's TD run against Penn State. Uh, you have the another 10-7 uh, upset here. Storm Johnson uh, re- regroups and wins the 10-7 matchup. His TD run against Louisville. Uh, squeaks out Ronell Hall's second TD versus Baylor, and then Mike the um, and what is an asterisk team in this uh, in this tournament because of you know a lot of people calling you out on some inconsistencies here. You have Daryl Max all six of Daryl Max touchdowns against the Bortles to Perryman touchdown against the Cows in 2013. Daryl Max six touchdowns as the 11 seed takes out the six seed Bortles and Perryman. Other than that. Everything else went shock. I know the only matchup you were concerned about was the Hinshaw helmet touchdown against Alabama in, in 2000. 
Uh, that was going up against penalties to start the game against Cincinnati in 2018. That one got a little heated, Mike. Luckily, Hinshaw prevailed because I know you were ready to pull the plug on this one. I almost canceled the entire tournament, and I was very serious about it too. Saturday evening, I'm watching the results come back in for that, and it was a dead tie, basically. I think the, the penalties were winning at one point. We're talking. Look, I love the game day game. I was there. I was part of the crowd. Uh, starting the, if you remember, actually going back the week before that game, when we talked about that, we previewed that game on this very show. I said we should kick off first, give them the ball because the crowd is going to be so amped up. We're going to get in Cincinnati's head and play a big factor in the game. It's exactly how it happened. We got they got the ball first, and we saw what happened with penalties. But let's face it, man. The penalties had nothing to do with that game. Cincinnati still got the first down. They moved the ball like another 30 yards. They punted, pinned us deep, and they ended up sacking McKenzie. He fumbles in the end zone. They took a 7-0 lead. So the, causing that uh, false start really meant nothing in that game. We went on to win big. But the Hinshaw touchdown was a huge part of the Alabama game. We're down two touchdowns with about under two minutes to go in the half. And we go on a 98-yard drive, and it's capped off by that touchdown. And it's one of the coolest plays you'll see with Hinshaw's helmet popping off, the Alabama defender taking it and flinging it across the field. Just one of the coolest plays in UCF history. And I couldn't believe that it was even that close. All the other two seeds went on easy romps, and this one should have been the same. And it almost ended up losing. It almost cost you guys the rest of this tournament because I was going to shut the whole thing down. Yeah, don't don't tempt UCF, Mike. He's uh, <clears throat> he's he's a man of his word. I think the second round matchups, Mike, will be interesting here. You've got the four five, which is Richie Grant's forced fumble against Wilcox in 2017 uh, from the Cows versus 24K Kevin Smith's first touchdown in bounce house history versus Texas. Uh, I think that'll be interesting four or five matchup. And your boy Hinshaw. He's got a tough one, too. He's got the Storm Johnson TD run against Louisville, the 10 seed. Uh, so are we going to be okay if the 10 seed beats the 2 seed here? Is this one going to be okay if Henshaw doesn't win this matchup? I mean, I'll, I'll let it go. Okay. The, the Louisville game was – okay, the Alabama game was our biggest win for a long time, <clears throat> probably up until that night in Louisville. So – I can see the Storm Johnson thing, giving him a run for his money. That was a huge play in that comeback. Remember, we're down 21 points in that game. And the Storm Johnson touchdown really started to spark that comeback that night. So, I, I if Hinshaw almost lost to a false start penalty, I, I can see him losing to the Storm Johnson touchdown. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. But uh, the, the, surprise, the biggest upset so far in the whole tournament was the DJ Mack one, the 11th seed. He's the highest seed to advance so far. And that's in this bracket. Um, six touchdowns. I know it's not one play, but I had to get a couple of those in there. There's a, there's a, a few. So the I had to get the Beckton four touchdowns four different ways somewhere in the bracket. And once I did that, I had to put the DJ Mack thing in there. And also have Quincy McDuffie returning two touchdowns. So there's a few of those I had to throw in. I know it's not single play, but I didn't want to rename the whole tournament to UCF moments. So I just kept it named as... UCF greatest place. That's how we roll around here. Let's move on to the Shaquan Burkett pick six bracket. Uh, that matchup still ongoing against uh, Dante and uh, and Sia Burley, Mike. Uh, again, another 10-7 uh, upset in this bracket. KZ's touchdown run against Auburn took off the seven seed, which was the goalpost coming down against Marshall. 
so that was an interesting one. One of the ones that I found really interesting that um, the matchup here and, and how it was favored, the sixth seed, Davin Bush's pick six against Alabama, actually beat out the uh, Daryl Mack to Otis Anderson peace out TD in 2018 in the AAC championship game. I thought maybe they would, I thought Mack and, and Otis had a shot at that one because it, you know, the Davin uh, interception was such a long time ago. And if, if Hinshaw was struggling to win, I was surprised that, uh, that Bush pulled that out, Mike, but he wins that six eleven matchup was, uh, which is interesting. You mentioned there's a matchup still that's uh, to be released. That's the four seed Bobby Joe Plains first TD in school history in 1979 versus the Bam Moore pick six versus LSU and Joey Connors baptizing Joe Burrow. I feel like I can tell you on this one, uh, Bam and Joey are going to are gonna run over Bobby Joe, but uh, I guess I was wrong about Grillo, so what do I know? But that's the that's the latest on the Shaquan Burkett bracket. And that would be the biggest upset to this point if that does happen seed-wise, the number 13. And the reason it's, it's ranked that low is because it came in a loss. Uh, a lot of... Every one of the 16 seeds came in a loss, so plays got penalized for that. There was a, a play, um, I, I, no, it's in the other bracket, the, the Greco to Rocky Ross touchdown. That play could have gone as high as like a two seed if we win that game, but it's in a loss. So that, that had a lot of effect on the, the seeding. Um, but that one has a chance. The 13 seed may advance. We're going to release that one tonight or tomorrow morning, and we'll see how it does. But the winner of that game has got a very tough matchup with the Rennell Hall first touchdown against Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. Uh, second round matchups to look out for. Um, curious, I think Stanback, who's the three seed right now, he's going against Mac to Gabe Davis. I know those results aren't, uh, aren't released yet, uh, but I think that's probably the toughest matchup. You'll have Hale Perryman versus the KZ TD run. I think Hale Perryman is one of those plays that's iconic in UCF history. It's a game winning play. Not that KZ's run wasn't important, but um, but I think I feel like this this bracket here will probably end up continuing to go chalk, with the exception of Bobby Joe Plain um, getting getting knocked out. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, Mr. Quan Burkett, you know what I found interesting so far the the one seeds, which I think are clear, they're not all none of them have gotten a hundred percent yet. So there's some people that are either just out there trolling or. I don't know what their deal is with some of these votes. There's no way that um, some of these should even be close votes. And then moving to the Javier Berlegi bracket, the one seed there, he's currently uh, going up against AK's TD run against Michigan. Uh, upset so far in that bracket, Mike, the nine seed Joe Burnett's his interception against Rice for the title in 2005 edged out the blocked field goal uh, again in that Cincinnati game day game of 2018. Uh, everything else uh, is, is gone to chalk thus far. I know the 7-10 matchup is still out there right now. Uh, that's Stanback's force fumble versus Dante running over Nebraska. Uh, so curious to see how the Dante stuff plays. Obviously, he doesn't have a ton of plays on here. I think two for Dante. Um, one's a 16 seed, probably a tough go of it. Is this the spot where Dante sneaks in and, and makes a run uh, late in the tourney here? A lot of a lot of old school guys have the Dante love. Um, and and that, that game is probably one of the more synonymous ones with putting UCF on the map, even though we didn't win it. Uh, we were in it. Uh, we were winning at halftime, I believe. And so that's, that's one of those iconic games in the early stages of UCF. So that'll be interesting to see how that one uh, shakes out overall. Uh, the last I checked before we started recording, that one was, did have a lead. So Dante is still alive and every other 10 seed has won so far in this bracket. And like I mentioned on Thursday night, when I did the seedings, I mean, the eight, the seven, eight, nine, and tens 
they could have all been jumbled up and seeded anyway. It kind of just worked out the way it did. So I can see any one of those winnings. I don't consider an upset if a nine beats an eight or even if a 10 beats a seven, as we've seen so many times already. I was surprised at the five twelve matchup, the five matchup being the noise penalty versus Troy and kudos to you, by the way, for finding all that footage that you included as, as part of that, uh, that release. Cause you had like an entire interview session there. Uh, so the noise penalty versus Troy versus Bam Moore's forced fumble against Navy. I thought the recency stuff and, uh, and the fact that not many people probably remember the, the 1988 noise penalty game. I thought that one may, uh, may be a problem, but the noise penalty edged it out. I was surprised at that one. Yeah. And sometimes Twitter will surprise you. Um, <laughs> sometimes in a good way, sometimes not. Like, I, I understand. Some people are voting for the Adrian Killens touchdown against Michigan over the kick at Alabama. I mean, unless you're Adrian Killens' mom, or I don't think even Killens himself would vote for that. We were down 31 nothing in the second quarter of that game. I understand it was his first touchdown. It's the beginning of the UCF fast era and all that stuff. But come on, that was a blowout loss against the kick against Alabama. And people, some people actually voted for it. So I, I don't know how to feel about Twitter voting. I feel like I should have veto power on some of these. I'm not going to do it. I almost had to with the helmet, the, the Hinshaw helmet touchdown. But, um, I, it's good. To, I, I kind of go by the dungeon vote more than anything. Those guys seem to be a little more level-headed, which is crazy. Which is crazy, <laughs> yes, actually. I, I'm going to tell you right now, Mike, uh, Javier Berlegi's not making out of that bracket. He's not going Final Four. J.J. Wharton, the two-seed, is, is I think is, is going to march to victory in that bracket. That's just my early prediction right now. Yeah, I, I think he that's the strongest two-seed. The, the Hale Perriman, too, has a shot to, to come out of its bracket. And don't underestimate a couple of these three seeds. Some three seeds are pretty strong. The stand back hit against Rutgers, everybody loves that clip. It's just a cool one to watch. And the Brandon Alexander forcing the fumble against Houston could give JJ a tough matchup too. So some of these, once we start getting down to these regional finals, it's going to be interesting to see at least what how the percentage goes in some of these votes. And I'm also curious in that last bracket, the 3-6 matchup, which is coming up, will be Brandon Alexander's forced fumble uh, for the touchback against Houston versus KZ to Snelson in that sort of um, you know backyard drawn-up touchdown run that caused Hypo or Danny White to both look like they were surprised it happened. I'm curious to see how that one shakes out because obviously some recency bias uh, on that one. It was such an iconic play. And I think the reaction of Danny and Josh actually adds to that a little bit, um, just how, how agape they were at what they just saw. All right. Yeah, the three six matchups are going to be tough ones, and the four fives are going to be slobber knockers too. But I think if it comes down to it, and the elite eight are all ones and two seeds, or at least seven out of the eight, or six out of eight are ones and two seeds, I think that just shows how I seeded these things pretty well, right? Oh yeah. I'll, listen, all credit to UCF Mike on this, guys. This was this was Mike's idea. He. He, he texted to me and an hour later had an entire bracket figured out. He had all the plays written up and figured out. He had all the seating figured out. And not only that, he's keeping track of all these polls, which if, you, if you've ever run a Twitter poll is not necessarily as easy because there's a lot going on there. Adding all the stuff into the dungeon. And then, oh, by the way, for the majority of these, he's actually adding in the clips underneath the Twitter poll. And he's going into the Wayback Machine to find some of this stuff. The Franco Gorilla uh, field goal. I mean, I wasn't sure how that one existed, but it, you had that one. You had a whole interview session with the noise penalty game. 
So not only is Mike giving you the poll, he's giving you the results, but he's also giving you the videos to watch the play. So uh, it's a fun trip down memory lane, Mike. I think everybody's really enjoyed what you put together. Um, it's It's been cool to, to watch some of these old plays and really sit down and kind of think about it and when you kind of pit them against each other. And the reality is nobody really loses here because these are all great plays by our university. So the ultimate uh, you know winner here is, is all of us as UCF fans. But uh, just hats off to you, my friend, because this is this has been uh, a, quite an effort, and uh, and so far it's been a, a smashing success. Thanks, man. I've really enjoyed doing it. It's been uh, a lot of fun. Putting the clips together is always a good time, and like I said before, I haven't seen some of these plays in a while, so uh, some of them I forgot about. I, I mean, I didn't forget about the play, but I forgot you know, the magnitude of some of these things and just how cool – and the Mark Daniels call to go along with pretty much all of these how excited he gets during some of these plays um it's been a lot of fun so i'm, I'm happy to do it but i'm not gonna lie it has been some work man <laughs> it seems like i'm always doing something with this bracket whether it's put, putting together one of these clips or running a poll it, it's been kind of exhausting and uh, i'm gonna keep it up for as long as i can now i've been putting out four matchups per day for the first round i think i may do that here for the second round we could probably knock out this whole second round here by Friday night, and then maybe we'll slow things down into the next week for the uh, Elite yeah. Eight. What's the, I was going to ask, what's the schedule? Are you kind of following the NCAA tournament? Are we taking a couple of days off here and starting to get over the weekend? Or we 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 timing this up with you know kind of an actual champion there? Or are we just plowing through until we get a winner? <sighs> well, I, I don't know how much work I'm going to get done this weekend. This weekend I'm going away. It is the my 10th anniversary with my wife. We're taking a little trip. No kids, no dog, no nothing. So I may not Baby. be posting any videos this weekend. I, I don't know. We'll see. So I'm, I'm trying to get through the first two rounds by Friday and maybe take a day or two off and come back and do the, what would that make it? The Elite Eight? So there would only be four matchups to do the next week. Maybe I'll do one. Maybe I'll slow it down to one a day and then – We'll have a winner by the end of the following week or the beginning of the next week. Maybe it'll, actually, maybe it might line up exactly with the uh, with the championship game in, in basketball. So the good news is we have no idea. But here's what you need to do: follow uh, <laughs> at UCF Mike One on uh, on Twitter. He's releasing all this stuff. Um, we are trying to retweet these from the Suns UCF account as well. If you just search the hashtag UCF Greatest Plays. Or our good friend Cossack Advisor has been compiling all these into what's called the Twitter moment. So they're all also available for you there as well. If you want to uh, catch up on your voting, you maybe you missed a couple matchups or uh, you want to go back and see what happened, you can uh, you can find all that stuff there. Uh, and obviously we will keep you updated here on the show as to where we are and what we're doing. Uh, but again, just fantastic work. I'm, I'm curious to see how it all shakes out, I think. Um, the cool thing about it too, is it's provided us with the opportunity to think about like some of these guys we haven't had on the show in, in a long time. Some of these guys we haven't had the show at all. Um, our guest tonight, Sharif Rashad, he was a 16 seed. He unfortunately drew the unenviable task of going against Mike Hughes. Uh, but, uh, his, his hit his iconic hit and kind of brought his name back to our, uh, our, our memory banks. And now he's on the show. So it's just a, it's a really cool trip down memory lane. And, uh, and Mike deserves all the credit in the world and maybe a five-star rating or whatever you want to give him for, for putting this stuff together. And it's even a little history lesson for a lot of you younger <laughs> fans that were not around for any of these and maybe never even heard of some of these players or some of these plays. Now you got, now you know what the noise penalty is. Now you know who Franco Grilla, Franco Grilla is. And you're going to see Bobby Joe playing here in a couple hours. Um, so it, it's good. And it's always good to know the history of the school. 
we don't have a long history. We didn't start playing football only just 40 years ago. So uh, it's not like Florida Gators or some of these other schools that have over 100 years of football plays to go through. We've seen, if you've been around the program long enough like us, you've seen pretty much all of them. And if you're a young guy, maybe in your 20s, maybe you're a student now, you can go back and appreciate where we came from. Well, again, follow at UCF Mike one on Twitter to get all that information and make sure you vote early, vote often, and check back for the results. But coming up, the uh, the I guess the 64th seed in this tournament uh, was kind enough to join us, even though he was seated so low. But uh, he totally made up for it because he was a fantastic conversation. Uh, so don't go anywhere. Sharif Rashad coming up right after this break here on the Sons of UCF. Who are the Suns talking to this week? Let's find out. All right, this week we're joined by probably one of the most uh, reliable, dependable, durable, just just a guy who um, seemed like he, he made plays all over the field. Uh, one of the most consistent guys we had. Uh, secondary, uh, played uh, you know through the 05 to 08 season, was there for the start of the on-campus stadiums. And again, probably just one of the more consistent players we've ever had uh, wear the black and gold. Happy to have Sharif Rashad join us on the show this evening. Sharif, first off, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I appreciate you guys uh, reaching out. I'm, I'm really excited about speaking with you, uh, kind of reminiscing here. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, we're looking forward to Let's start off at the at the very beginning. Um, you're a local guy, right? Jacksonville. So you're, you're not too far from, from UCF. How did you end up coming to UCF? Talk us through your kind of recruiting story and ultimately how you ended up uh coming to orlando oh wow that's a that's a that's an interesting one to unpack um so i was a little different than most to be honest uh so i, I guess at, uh, at the end of the day it kind of all rolled to coach beckton coach sean beckton was the uh the guy who kind of convinced me to to make the jump to ucf but as far as the recruiting phase it was pretty different than you'd imagine i uh, went to episcopal high school which is a pretty small school um they give you kind of some perspective i think i mean we've maybe had three or four d1 guys go at the time when i was there in the history and two of them had the same last name myself and my little brother uh so i think they've got one or two guys since then but uh known for a lot of sports and, and honestly they've actually come up quite a bit in the last few years but at the time we weren't necessarily known for for football so it wasn't very uh, highly recruited i actually tell the story a bunch that I got kicked off of both the all-star teams that have kind of the, the citywide shrine games, the all-star games at the end of the season. And none of the, neither one of the coaches had heard of me. So I, they were one, to, one time they told me I was supposed to play for the East team, and I went to that practice, and they told me they didn't want me. Uh, they sent me to the West team. Uh, they told me they didn't want me, so I had to go to the city, and the city forced one of the teams to let me play in the all-star game. Uh, and and uh, Coach Beckton was there, and, and – I played pretty decent there, and obviously you saw, you know, some of the week of practice as well, and that's how I ended up at UCF. Um, so it was basically down to UCF and the academies. My dad was military, uh, but I ended up choosing UCF. We get on campus as a true freshman. Uh, you obviously made an impression on the coaches because that first game in 2004, uh, you were actually starting uh, against Penn State, starting free safety, and then uh, a freak play, I guess, early in the game, uh, you end up breaking your hand. Um, you played the rest of that game, though, but you had to sit out the rest of that season. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How, how frustrating was it uh, to, to kind of get a chance? You're in there, you're a starter, and, and you have to suffer an injury like that early on. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that 
24 to 48 hours, I mean, probably flew by. I was between being nervous and scared and excited and, and things like that. So I actually punched over the night before that game. I was I was actually not the starter. I was second string. Um, and without getting too deep into the story, about one or two in the morning, uh, they found out that the starter, uh, one of the starters, I should say, was going to be ineligible, academically ineligible. So I find out, I found out that morning that I was going to be starting. So obviously didn't get any more sleep that night. <laughs> uh, Coach Aldridge had me up all night and kind of obviously he was kind of panicking just as much, right, to have a 17-year-old kid out there. Um, but, yeah, I'd say by, by halftime, right, I felt really good about it. I thought everything was going well. And, I mean, I knew I had hurt my hand, but I had no clue it was broken. It's I tell this story all the time as well, but I had actually kind of essentially kind of broke the bone all the way off. And when I untaped, when I took the tape off of my hand in the locker room, my thumb literally just fell to my wrist, fell all the way down. I had torn all the ligaments, broke the bone. So Mary saw it, and, and obviously it was, it was pretty much the end of the season for me. Um, but I didn't even notice it until the game was over. But it was just a lot of fun running around, being out there. Uh, and I, it was frustrating knowing that I could have played, you know, the whole year, my freshman year. But it was also exciting knowing that, you know, I was good enough to play and was going to have four years ahead of me. Hold on a second. So that, that didn't hurt? Like you weren't in pain throughout the game with, with that type of injury? Did you did you uh, feel I mean, pain? I was, but what happened was it was so swollen. And, you know, when you tape your wrist, you tape, you know, between your wrist and then you alternate around your hand. So your thumb's kind of locked in there. So it was super swollen and I couldn't really move it. But, I mean, with the adrenaline and, and just playing and it wasn't, obviously, it was locked in because of the tape. So it wasn't, you know, moving, moving around too much. But then once the tape came off, and that's when I realized it was it was snapped and, and torn and, and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Did they give you the Ronnie Lott option of just cutting your thumb off and you play the rest of the year? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say they did, and, and I promise you, even if they didn't, uh, I'm sorry, I'll do the opposite. I'm going to say they didn't, but even if they did, I certainly wouldn't have done it. Not that age. <laughs> maybe, maybe if it's your last game, right? The first one, you got, pl- you got plenty left, so. Uh, I think I keep all my keep all my digits as a freshman. <laughs> Good decision. So the team the next year was the greatest turnaround in college football history. We went from winless to eight wins in 2005. What were the expectations going into that season? Because we're coming off a year where we didn't win a game, but now O'Leary's kind of getting his system in place. What are you guys thinking going into 2005? I mean, honestly, I think. It wasn't even going into the season thinking, like, what was our record going to be this year. It was just about getting the win, right? I mean, going through the the previous year, uh, we had a lot of talent, obviously, that, you know, materialized over the next few years and even with some guys that ended up in the NFL the very next year. But it just, for some reason, it wasn't working out. And, And we knew we had, you know, the ability, but at the same time, we weren't thinking about going undefeated, nothing like that. We just wanted to get a game. We just wanted to win a game. So, um, I would say the expectations, I don't want to say low, right, because it wasn't like we were, again, we weren't even projecting for the whole season. We really just wanted to get, get the first win. And I think once we did that, you know, it's kind of like you get the you get the monkey off your shoulder and you're not you're not worried about any super, anything superstitious or the momentum always going against you somehow. And, you know, before you know it, before you knew it, we got, we got rolling and, and kept on winning. So uh, it was just funny to see, and I'm sure a lot of guys talk about this as well, but. You know, you go from almost hiding on campus to, to feeling like you can actually go to class and put your hood down, uh, you know, after the, after the first year going under, uh, going defeated. So it, it was it was it was cool to be a part of the turnaround. But at the same time, you know, we, we were always 
everybody was always still tight knit and, and still had, you know, hope and we were always working hard. So nobody ever gave up, but it was, it was definitely rough. So when we finally end the losing streak against Marshall at home, we storm the field, we tear down the goalposts. Are you thinking, man, we do this after every win? Because this is your first one. You don't know what to expect. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping we did it after every win. <laughs> it was that much fun. I was actually, uh, I don't remember what the delay was, but I was I was down there for quite a bit uh, downtown. So I, and I don't even remember all the details, but all I remember is however I was getting back to campus, I saw the portion of the, of the goalpost that was like being confiscated uh, on the way back. So it was, it was, it was cool. Cause people just, I mean, kind of went crazy and uh, even just being out there, it felt like we had won the conference championship, the, the national championship. It was definitely much more in the win. And, you know, even the next day, everybody was still excited coming in to work out the next day. People were, you know, running around and, and laughing. It, it was, it was really, it was a really cool feeling, but at the same time, I, I think we realized it was a start. Uh, you know, an actual season that, that could be productive as long as we, you know, stuck to stuck to what we were being told. Well, you got a lot of playing time that year, and, and it was really kind of a young secondary overall. Um, t- take us into that room. Was Were you guys just successful because you were so young and you didn't know any better? Were you guys just preparing really, really hard kind of in, in, the, in the weeks to, you know, up to the game? Was it just a lot of talent? What do you think kind of contributed to how, how quickly you guys gelled together and how yeah. well you played? You know what? I think I think it had a lot to do with the relationships, right? Um, we we at some point had just decided that we were going to figure it out. As weird as that as weird as that sounds, I mean, you can only get yelled at so much, and, and I think a lot of the times people forget how many plays sometimes the four of us, you know, Joe, John, L, Jason, and myself, gave up. You know, in those first couple of years, and, and obviously we had side, you know, show signs of promise, but you know, a lot went wrong too, like just not, you know, being as experienced. But I, I think at one point we all had kind of just sat down and decided that we were just going to have fun and we knew we were going to, you know, make mistakes, but we just, you know, started, just started going for it in a way. And I think, again, we all kind of came together and made that decision and, and we started, you know, having a little bit more fun at practice and we get yelled at a little bit more, right. For, you know, celebrating a little too long and things like that. But we, we turned it into a thing where we knew we were young, we knew we were going to make mistakes, but at the same time, we knew we were talented and we could, you know, actually help the team out and, and make some plays as well. And you know, when you got Joe out there and, you know, John L out there, it's, it's easy for Jason and myself, um, I actually live right up the road from Jason, believe it or not. We golf, we golf every weekend. So, uh, you know, we were, we were all really close and I think that helped us out on the field. I think coach Huxtable didn't like that sometimes when, you know, John L and myself would decide to switch positions before the play to try to, <laughs> to try to, you know, confuse the quarterback. And we do little kind of little weird things like that. But, you know, by the, by the time we were seniors, we knew the defense so well that we, we were able to just go out and have fun. So I think that was the start of it. But, uh, again, I think the misconception was that we were out there just, you know, holding it down. And, and we have some flashy plays that made us look good, but I could promise there was just so much going wrong out there sometimes. <laughs> well, something must have went right because, obviously, 2005 ends up in exactly. the first bowl experience for UCF, uh, which you know, back at that time was a program who we got snubbed earlier in the, in the late 90s. So it was, it was a big deal to get to a bowl game. And you guys draw Hawaii as, as your bowl destination, which is – I mean, probably literally as far as you could get from Orlando. What do you remember about that whole experience? First of all, just being selected for a bowl, finding out it's Hawaii, getting there, and obviously, uh, you know, the, the game uh, took on a little bit of a life of its own there, and, and the ending probably wasn't what we wanted. Take us, take us back to that, that season and that Hawaii Bowl and everything you remember about it. Yeah, that whole year, it almost felt, it's funny, because, you know, the year before, or, you know, the year, some of the years prior, I should say, 
Um, you know, it felt like it was inevitable for things to go wrong sometimes. And it was the exact opposite that year, right? It just, it just felt like if we were down, if we were losing, if something wasn't working, it was inevitable that we were going to, we were going to figure it out and the offense was going to score and, you know, defense was going to stop whatever we needed to do. It just felt like for the most part, you know, it was going to happen. And it did, you know, for the majority of that season, just about every game there. Um, and I think it was an experience for everybody once we found out, you know, one, that we were going to a bowl game alone. And then two, you know, the draw that we got, I don't, I don't think anybody was expecting it, you know, at least kind of the, you know, the, the, the bowl, you know, being that far away or being that you know prestigious of a bowl game. But we were certainly, we were happy about it. And the week was a lot of fun, uh, you know, getting the, the bags and the, the clothes and, and things like that. And, and just experiencing it, I think, I mean, the flight was ridiculously long and, I remember I was between like Terrell Troop and somebody else about his size and it was terrible, you know, on the way there, I could barely move. But once we got there, it was awesome. Uh, and we just, you know, I don't know, it was, it was just a lot of fun, right? The, the times, uh, you know, being there, having, you know, practice in a different place. Uh, obviously the game didn't go as well as we wanted it to, but uh, it was it was just awesome to be recognized for all the hard work because we were working just as hard when we were losing, you know, to get back to, to winning so you know having a bowl game be the kind of the culmination of that or the reward i think was was a good experience well take us in the locker room after that game obviously it ends on a, on a fluke play for those who don't recall matt prater who went on to have a pretty good career by the way uh missed the extra point <laughs> uh, essentially and we lose by by one take us in the locker room what, what was what was the emotion like were you guys just you know sad frustrated were you guys happy that at least you, you got there what was the mood like post game uh, I mean, I'd go partially A there, partially sad, partially B, frustrated. Definitely no C. Nobody was happy that we were there. Um, it was it was just, I think it was the most frustrating because we, we felt like we should have won it, right? Um, I mean, and obviously you had, you know, Prater, you know, down on himself and, and what you would expect out of any, you know, team. You know, people were, were trying to pick him up about it. You know, it was an entire game. But at the same time, it just, it hurt. And then, of course, you got to think about it for the next, you know, a few hours, a few hours, there were quite a few hours, you know, when you're flying back. But um, at the same time, I think once once that Monday rolled around, right, or that next week rolled around, then it became appreciative of everything that we had done that season and, and, and thinking back on the memories. But it was definitely all bad in the locker room because, you know, we were competitive just like anybody is in a bowl game, so you wanted to win it. So it was, it was rough losing it that way, but at the same time, we knew that we had, you know, had a good year and we had fought as best we could on that day. We had Prater on the show probably like six months ago, maybe eight months ago, and he said that he still right. maybe like once a month or something hears it from somebody about that kick. So oh, he's, st- he's still reliving it all yeah. these years later. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and Prater was a he was a good friend of mine. I mean, he was he was older than I was, but we uh, we we got along pretty well. So I hung out with him uh, back at his house on the weekend and stuff like that. So he he was a good friend at the time, and and I was one of the people. Uh, you know, trying to make sure he was all right a few days later, and he 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 uh, he made it out just fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can imagine it was it was a rough one, especially being you know as, as good as he was. Right, it's kind of like the the one time that his powers let him down. But like you said, he's he's uh, he's recovered nicely. <laughs> yeah, you can joke about it now. I mean, he's, hit, he's hitting sixty three yard field goals. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they can't hit an extra point. Yeah, man. <laughs> don't don't remind me. <laughs> All right, so 2006 season, I think we kind of took a little step backwards. What do you think kind of contributed to that? Was it just a hangover from the 05? Was, was it injuries? What exactly happened in 2006? Why did we take a, go a little back? You know what? I think, I mean, I think looking back, it's it's easier to admit, 
than it would have been while you're in it. Because while you're in it, you're still working hard. You're still doing things. But I think we – I don't know if we got it as, as – I don't know if we got better as much as we did, you know, the previous season, right? We worked hard. We maintained. And and everybody was, was still, you know, doing what they were, you know, <clears throat> supposed to do as a Division One football players. But it, it's hard to have that same, you know, grit when you're coming from, you know, the bottom, literally the bottom. Uh, you know, and, and trying to just gain some respect. And then we had it. And again, I don't want this to be any indication that we weren't trying or that people were letting off, but I just don't know if we grew as much, right? I don't know if we were able to improve as much. And then obviously it was a conference at the time that was competitive. And we just kind of came out and weren't able to, to put it together. And, and I also think that there were there were more games that year where, you know, it was either offense or defense was playing well. And, you know, we couldn't really put full games together on both sides of the ball to where, you know, in that previous year, of course, it was kind of feeding off of one another, right? Offense was, was scoring quick or, you know, running down the clock, whatever they needed to do, and defense was holding when, when it needed to. And, and in this that year, it seemed like even when there were games or one side of the game was playing well, the other side, you know, might not might not have had a great, a great game. So I think there was a lot that went into it. And obviously, we lost a lot of talent as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it was just – might have lost a little bit of the grit that we had the previous year. Well, you were there for some special times. We just talked about the first ever bowl game. And then in 2007, we open up the on-campus stadium. You get to see that thing get built day by day out there by the practice field. What was it like finally to step foot on campus and play a game against Texas? I mean, first of all, before the game even started, it was amazing not having the field for you know, an hour. <laughs> trying to get there right um and, and don't get me wrong that was you know that, that was a beautiful stadium and we appreciate it just as much as anybody would have but uh you know just being able to to, to wake up and, and walk over right to get ready in the same locker room that you always get ready in and you know be around the same atmosphere and not have to kind of go into our own you know a specific you know ritual of driving you know somewhere far away and someone that some, something that we didn't see every day right it just wasn't as comfortable it didn't feel as much like home uh, to where, you know, once the stadium went up and like you said, we were able to see it, you know, we were kind of right around the, right around the bend there and then those new uh, confrontation buildings. So we saw it as it was going up and by the time it was ready, we were so excited about it. And then obviously, you know, the way that they had scheduled us to open up the stadium made it even more exciting. So it was, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it was definitely more, uh, it was more prideful as well, right? There was a lot more pride associated with uh, you know, holding it down at home when, when home actually felt like home. That was another game where we really probably should have won that game. So many things went wrong that, I mean, I remember Lawrence Young, they had an interception in his hands that maybe was shielded in the fourth quarter. Uh, no, I, I, we, to this day, like you said about Prater, to this day, every time I see Lawrence, I'll, I'll say, <laughs> not that I, I haven't seen him as much as much lately, but, um, you know, you know the, the years that followed. But at the same time, if, if you watch that game film, it wouldn't have been a close game without Lawrence. So we, we wouldn't have been in that position in the first place. I mean, he he played absolutely ridiculous that game. So it, it's always a joke um, because, again, they would they probably would have had 20 more points if Lawrence wasn't on the field. But it would have been nice for him to catch a, you know, a pop-up pop as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Israel fumbles on the sideline. They recovered Justin Bounds. There's so many little things that could have right. gone one way or the other. We win that game. What, what was the tougher one to take? That one? Or... 
Can you repeat that? I lost. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. What, what was the tougher loss for you to deal with? The, losing that first home game or the Hawaii Bowl that we just talked about? Oh, um, honestly, I'd, I'd probably say the the Texas game because it was just there was just a lot more there was a lot more build up to that one, and even though the other one you know, was the first bowl game. Obviously, when you've got Texas as a as a first opponent, you know, in a, in a home stadium of the year, uh, that's what we talked about all summer, right? We didn't know we were going to the Hawaii Bowl to the end of the season, so we, you know, maybe a month or two, right? But you know, building up to to the to the Texas game, it was kind of the focus all summer. We had done so much scouting and so much preparing, and then it all worked, right? Everything that we had prepared, you know, that's what we were seeing, and, and the talent was there, and we were we almost had it, right? So I think that was the one that that hurt the most. And, and maybe because of what it could have been, right? It was it was still a great game. We still had a you know played really well, but it could have been you know something that's still been being played on ESPN today, like the Appalachian State game, right? That like it, it it literally would have been of that magnitude at that time, and it kind of would have been a much more of a memorable thing for college football, just as much as as for us. So I'd, I'd say that one hurt a, a little a little worse, but uh, but at the same time, it was it was an amazing day and. And I'm sure everybody watches that clip every once in a while just to listen to it. Well, speaking of losses that hurt, uh, what do you think of when I say uh, 64-12? What do I think of when you say 64-12? To be honest, I'm not even sure uh, which game would that have been. So that was that was our loss to the cows, uh, the the our, our rivals to the west. There, 64-12. They they, oh, they put man. it on us that oh, year. Man. Yeah, you know what? That that year was just. It was bad. And you know what's funny? And I'm, I'm surprised I don't remember that because when I was with the Redskins, uh, they had a receiver by the name of Torres Johnson who was kind of their number one guy that year. And and he was my roommate. Like, we, we ended up living together when we played on the Redskins. And he would have this joke where he'd, he'd always have that game playing because he would always get home from practice before me. And in the living room every day, he'd have that game playing on the TV. <laughs> so I'm surprised. I'm surprised I didn't remember that. But it was rough. To be honest, I mean, we were, you know, we were, we were running all over the place. I don't, I don't even know what, what went on. There was a lot of things where it started raining, and before we knew it, it was pouring. Um, and the, you know, the, the the attack that they had, the style that they had, is, you know, they were somewhat what UCF has been over the last few years, right? Kind of innovative and throwing it all over the place, and and we just weren't ready that day. Um, I don't think they were that much better than us, but we just weren't ready that day. And before we knew it, you know, it was it was sixty four twelve. So uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I forgot it on purpose, right? Maybe I blocked it out because it was uh, it was rough. First of all, how did you not get a new roommate? I feel like that's that's grounds to, to you know to lose a roommate. <laughs> he was actually a pretty good guy, believe it or not. Um, but trust me, I had some ammunition as well. So <laughs> yeah. So, but but obviously that that turns around. We shake that one off, and we go on to win the conference that year. So. Obviously, with a with a tough loss like that to a you know to our rival, how did you guys rebound from that? Because obviously, I mean, you could have packed it in and said, "Oh, oh my goodness, the sky's falling. We, we're doing this," but you didn't. What I guess what transpired? What what is what as a team do you think led you guys to continue on and win the conference title that year? I would say we just we just knew what the consequence of giving up was, right? And I'm not saying we gave up; we were undefeated, but we just knew that you know if we didn't bounce back we could end up with another you know terrible season for lack of a better word right and and we knew what it what it felt like to you know be early in a year and, and kind of know that the rest of the season is going to be miserable or at least that it's looking like it's going that way or that it, it seems like your luck's going that way 
So we just we just wanted to make sure we came back and, and shook it off and and you know basically worked as hard as we could to get that to get those wins right right afterwards. We wanted to make sure that we didn't stay down that way. You know we could we could continue to keep moving and and we were able to bounce back and you know one win turned into another and then we, before we knew it we were you know we were on a roll. So I agree. I mean I think that was a it was early but it was a it was a turning point to where it could have been a really bad season again. But like I said, I think we just experienced that before. And did absolutely everything we could to make sure we didn't let that one game kind of determine what the rest of the season was going to be like. You personally, for that season, you finished the the year with over 100 tackles, which hadn't happened in a handful of years before you did it. Uh, how, how proud are you of that accomplishment? Looking back on it, getting over over the century mark in tackles. You know what? It's funny. I'm I'm really proud of it, and that was something I actually didn't know until uh, until it was released. I remember I didn't really track anything like that. You know, I think game film and statistics and, and all that has come a long way. Not that we didn't have access to it, but it wasn't as easily accessible, you know, to the players unless you were really digging for it. And I, I wasn't much of a stats guy, so I didn't really know that until the, the season was over. And, and I was more proud of it just because, again, Jason and myself every year would have a competition who had the most tackles. So uh, that was a year where I knew I had beaten them, and, you know, he was literally trying to watch film and find tackles that they had missed of his to make it out <laughs> up to what I had. But it, it, it was it was an accomplishment for sure, um, just to kind of get over the century mark there. Um, but really, just to know that I was because I mean, having that many tackles it means that you're around the ball, right? It means that you're helping defense. So I was just excited to be to be relevant. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but just to be somebody that was actually a leader on the defense as opposed to just being out there, and and that was just, that was a good feeling. But uh, that was a fun season, and and it's just funny how how much easier tackling gets as you age. Cause I remember every single tackle I had to make, you know, as a freshman, I, I felt like it was life or death. Once I got within five yards and you get so nervous to where, you know, by the time I was a junior or senior, I was kind of looking at the guy as he was running and, and analyzing it saying, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to trip him this way or, you know, save my shoulder here and get a nice little, but then at the same time, it was almost like you'd analyze the way you wanted to hit people by the time you were, you know, you know, that old. So it just really felt like the game had slowed down. So, there was definitely a technique to, to getting to getting that many tackles and and not uh not hurting myself all the time, but uh no, nah, it, it was awesome. Well, we go to the Liberty Bowl at the end of that year, and that's another one that I think we let slip away. We could have won that one. Are you still trying to get the sound of the cowbells out of your head, first of all? Oh, it was awful. I... It, <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. We knew it, right? This is nothing new. I'm sure a lot of people that play them do this, but. You know, we obviously had them at practice a week long, and you know, we uh, had literally half the staff on the sideline just ringing cowbells. So, we we got used to it. Um, you know, going in, you thought we were used to it at least, and then you get in the stadium, and it's coming from all directions and coming from all angles, and it was definitely annoying. But at the same time, I think that's a game where we played really well. Um, you know, offense didn't have their best game, but you know, they did enough to keep us in it. And, and we were playing really well on defense, and then there was enough to keep us in it there as well. But, yeah, that's definitely one that – that that one probably hurt just as bad. Uh, I remember there was a play that I almost had an interception that would have probably sealed it as well because there was nobody there. And it was a, pra- a play that they had practiced all week. Uh, you know, we had practiced all week, I said. I knew exactly what they were going to run, and I cut underneath it, and then the quarterback overthrew it. I mean, I had come underneath the route and was standing right there, and the quarterback just threw the ball, you know, 15 feet in the air. Um, so could have won it on that one. And then kind of, obviously, anytime you've got a last, you know, last minute goal, goal line drive, it'll, it'll bother you as well. But 
uh, it, it was rough, especially since it was, you know, who they considered to be, you know, an SEC big-time opponent, and that was kind of the first time we had, had done that in a bowl game. Uh, but, again, you, you, you reflect on it a couple of days later and realize it had such a good season. But that's all. That's definitely one that I agree. I think we, I bet, I think we definitely should have won that one as well. well. You had, I think, probably the best highlight from that game. You lay the guy out. How often do you go back onto YouTube and watch that clip? That you know cool what? Thing. It's funny. I don't do it much, but just about every time you meet somebody who you know somehow finds out you know, that you used to play sports, you used to play football, you used to play everyone in every sport, right? If you get searched on YouTube, for me, that's kind of the one that the one that pops up first. So, uh, yeah, I get it. I get it quite a bit, and people send it to me and say, "Have you seen this?" And of course, I've seen it you know a thousand times. It's funny because I got, you know, honestly get made fun of for just about everything. I don't really know what my celebration was when I did that. I kind of just started shaking. So, you know, a lot of people have good memories associated with that play, but I, I literally got made fun of that entire week. My, just about <laughs> everyone. I remember Mecca, Mecca Okamore was the worst. He was the one that, uh, that, that thought it was hilarious. So he would just play it all week and ask me what I was doing, but... It's, it's memorable for sure, and that was kind of another another testament to coaching on that game. I mean, they had seven or eight plays that knew exactly what they were going to do. Um, I could have taken – I honestly it was mad at myself for not intercepting that because as soon as they started running the play, I could have went and got got the ball. I knew they were going to do that swing route. So, But because I knew it was coming, obviously I got to take off a little early and, and, and got there before you realized where I was at. So it was, it was a fun one. Uh, but, yeah, definitely probably one of the more memorable, if not the most memorable plays for my career at UCF. When you hit somebody that clean, do you even feel it that – What's the feel? You know what? You really don't. And then that day we were, I mean, I think everything was frozen as well. So I definitely didn't feel it. Uh, but I definitely felt it all a, a kind of a culmination of all the hits the next day. So I don't know if any of the pain that I had was from that. But at the time, no, you don't. I mean, you don't feel it at all. Not even a little. Well, the other guy must have been in pain the next day, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure he felt it. I'm sure he felt it for a little bit as well. But you know, I'm sure he delivered something just like that once or twice in his career as well. It usually comes full circle. Sure. Is that a penalty today in, in college football? Do you think you'd get flagged if you did um, that today? You know what? That one, I don't think so. Uh, just because it was kind of the one where I, I was able to tuck and turn and, and there was no helmet-to-helmet contact at all. Uh, now, I think they would have automatically reviewed it because anytime anybody gets hit hard, it's an automatic review. But I do think that would have been one where they would have let it go. I think that one would have been clean if you take a look at it in slow motion. How much do you think that impacts like young DBs right now coming up thinking about, I mean, and that play for you, you just, you read the play, you made the hit, right? You probably weren't thinking too much about strike zone where you were like, what, what do you, how much do you think that impacts the young players coming up today? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's gotta be a lot, right? Uh, For me, I mean, obviously uh, an unnecessary roughness, uh, you know, the targeting of sorts kind of back in the day before targeting was a thing was i mean it was it was egregious right like it was obvious you, you had to go out of your way to get one right to where now it's it's kind of you know a lot of the times people just trying to make a football play results in something that they didn't really intend to occur um so i don't i don't know how i would take it right because that's another aspect of thinking that they have to do to make the play you know, like you said for for us it was you gotta you know you gotta remember the, the call right you gotta know your assignment You've got to, you know, make the physical play to be there. You got to be an athlete to be there. But then once that happened, if you were in, if you were in the vicinity, you just go for the tackle, right? There was really no, no, no worry about how you made the tackle. To where now it's almost add another element to make 
defense harder, right? You you can get there and do everything right, but now you got to think about, you know, the angle of you know how you want to where you want to put your head and, and how you want to hit them and, and things like that, or you know, was he looking or can I go all out or do I you do I need to just push him out of bounds, right? So it's I just think it's it's another level of thinking or another decision that has to be made on every play that probably makes it uh, you know much harder. All right, so we ask this question of every receiver or every DB we've had on the show. Do you consider UCF to be wide receiver U or DBU? Because you guys have put a, a bunch of DBs into the league. I mean, I can sit here and name them all. Uh, you put a bunch of DBs in the league. Obviously, we've had a bunch of receivers in the league. Uh, guys like Brandon Marshall, Mike Sims Walker, who had some really good all-pro careers. Uh, but don't sleep on the DBs. Do you consider UCF DBU or wide receiver U? You know what? And I know this is a terrible answer. I'm curious if anybody else has ever said this, but it seems to me like it comes in phases, right? I, I seem like it, it seems like it comes in four to five year phases where you've got, you know, years where you've got, you know, Tavares Capers and, and Luther Huggins and, and Brandon Marshall and, you know, you know, Mike Walker and, and all these guys on the team at the same time. And then, you know, you've got years where you've got, you know, four or five defensive backs that, you know, go to the league and, and stay right the next few years. Um, and obviously there was a time where um, in the year that we beat Baylor, I, I kid you not, I would put that receiving core against any receiving core that I've ever seen in college football right now. The names weren't out there, but, you know, with J.J. and and Speedy and all those guys that they had out there that year. I mean, I don't know if anybody could have stopped them, right? And I think they had five or six guys on that team that should have got drafted, let alone, you know, you know, you know, within the next few years. But I feel like it comes in little it comes in phases. There's years where you you've got UCF receivers going in the first couple rounds and, and doing well in the NFL for three years in a row. And then the, the receivers may fall back. And when I say fall back, not in a bad way, right? Just, you know, rise to the top. You may see the DBs be a little bit better for four or five years where you've got, you know, the Mike Hughes and, and guys like that going back to back to back. So I know that doesn't really answer it either way, but I don't want to say both because I think it's clear. But each time it's it's clear what that phase is, whether there's DBs coming in for the next few years or, or receivers. Well, if, if it helps you at all, every receiver we've had on has always said it's wide receiver you. Oh, of course. No, I can, I can promise you that. And, and like I said, I mean, it's hard to deny the DBs that have come out of UCF to, to say, you know, that's not a correct answer, but at the same time, it's hard to deny the receivers that have come out, you know, in the past and, and right now as well. So where I think it's, uh, I think BBU's in the eye of the beholder. If, if you're talking to somebody on defense, it's probably going to be DBU. If you're talking to somebody who's a receiver, um, you can guarantee they're going to say wide receiver. How much are you able to stay in touch with some of those guys? I know obviously they weren't all in your class and some of those guys came before you and after you. How often are you guys able to get together and, you know, run into to guys that you've seen maybe in either before your time or after your time? Uh, I say for the most part, it's, I mean, during the year, during the season, I think always services an ability to get everybody together. Uh, this year was a little different, obviously, but um, even the guys that you may have, you know, I don't want to say forgotten about, but people you don't talk to as much, you know, when you see them at a game once a year, it, it usually re-sparks the relationships. Uh, I'd say for sure, whoever's in your class, you know those guys always, right? Um, <clears throat> but then you always are a little bit closer to a few people in, in different classes. I think sometimes that does have, you know, it is dependent a little bit, you know, upon, you know, some of the guys that ended up playing after school that you still got to see. You know, even though, you know, might have been on different teams in the NFL, but you know, I, 
when I was uh, right when I was coming out, you know, I was able to train with Brandon Marshall in the offseason a couple of times and, you know, the Jay and, and the guys like that to where you know, a lot of the times the people that you end up seeing for more years after college are the guys that are still playing. But um, at the same time, I think everybody did, especially from your class at UCF. So for me, I mean, I, I'd say there's at least, you know, 30 to 40, 30 to 40 guys easily. Um, I'm actually in Atlanta, Georgia these days. And, there's probably six or seven of us out here. You know, I see Bruce and Terrell and Jason and a lot of those guys and Kamar. I mean, I see them. I'm able to see them quite a bit. But then you've got you know, a lot of guys in Florida as well. So I think it depends on geography, who you see the most. But everybody that you're close with, you, you definitely still talk to them. And if it's not somebody you see a lot, uh, you definitely get to see them and, and, and talk to them during the season. Because, um, you know, even, even Rocky, I've known Rocky Ross since I was 10 or 11 years old and we played – you know, Little League baseball and basketball and all that stuff together. And I, and I see him all the time as well. So there, there's a lot of guys I still see, but for the most part, you're able to catch up with everyone at least once or twice a year when season rolls around. Were you guys, were you able to go to the Peach Bowl a couple of years ago in Atlanta with all these guys? Oh, yeah. No, I was here for sure. I was here. Uh, there was a bunch of us. We probably had 40, 40 guys uh, all out in the top. I don't that was a dumb Josh. I know Josh Sitton was there because that's another. I mean, I've done, I knew a lot of random occurrences. But I mean, I, I grew up with Josh in Pensacola before I even moved to Jacksonville, and and we were really, really good friends. And we were kids and hadn't seen each other, you know, seven, eight years. And we just happened to be uh, on our visit to UCF the same the same day, and that was kind of why one of the main reasons I chose UCF, and one of the main reasons Josh did as well, is because we we're like, oh man, we can just we can go here together. Because like I said, we were friends as we were when we were kids and hadn't seen each other and you know i don't know if it was 10 7 whatever but not since like we we're in elementary school and then you know turns out gr granted he grew um you know a couple feet a couple <laughs> feet on me we were actually the two fastest people on our little league soccer team uh we were like the two fastest kids running around me and josh and the next time i saw him he was you know a couple feet taller a couple hundred pounds bigger and i was still small but uh i still knew who he was as soon as i saw him but uh yeah no nah, it's uh I get to see guys quite a bit just because uh, we, you know, like to stay in touch as much as possible. Speaking of Josh, I forget which guy told us the story of O'Leary before you guys went out to Hawaii. Him telling Sitton, you know they harpoon out there. You need to be careful. Do you remember that story? <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, Coach O'Leary was good for one or two jokes a month. Uh, at most, one of them would land. So um, that, was, that was definitely one of his better, one of his better jokes. I'll give him that. Were were you guys calling him the white horse back then? Do you remember when that started? Yep, yep, it was the white horse. I remember that. I don't know who started it, but uh, that's definitely what they called him back in the day. And uh, either that, I mean, you had to be brave enough to talk to him in the first place. So you definitely wouldn't definitely wouldn't say it to his face. But that was kind of the nickname behind the scenes. <laughs> he we had him on here, and we actually told him about it. It was the first time he had heard it. He laughed it off. He thought it was pretty funny. He said he thought you guys had a bunch of wor other worse names for him. So he yeah, like, no, for sure. That was definitely that was the uh, that was the the um, that was the PG name for Coach Elliott. <laughs> he had a couple others as well that usually came out in anger during workouts. <laughs> no, nothing you're gonna share on here with us? No, nah, not, not breaking at all. Another not at all. Of course not. <laughs> Do you have any other O'Leary stories? Any, any good ones? Any jokes that you remember from him? Um, you know what? I'm trying to think of anything. It's not even necessarily really any stories, but uh, and I'm sure you've had some guys come on and say the same thing. But 
I mean, he had he had it in him, right? And obviously, he was he was he wasn't the nicest at all at all times. And and I say nice as in you know the stone, he was a stone coach. But uh, you know, if you had an issue, and you sat down in his office. He was a good dude. He was funny. He was uh, he was a personable guy. Uh, and, and we actually got along pretty well, Coach O'Leary and myself, because I was always kind of one of the ones that was doing my best to stay out of trouble. But um, yeah, nothing specific other than. Uh, you know, every time he, every time he crack a smile, it was, it was funny. You catch him every once in a while, you know, breaking character and he tried to snap out of it really quick, but you could tell that, you know, every once in a while he, he enjoyed himself out there just as much as we did. He just couldn't show it all the time. Obviously UCF has undergone a bunch of changes here in the last couple of months. Uh, what do you make of Gus Malzahn now as the head coach? And what do you think the program goes from here? You know what? I'm excited about it. I really am. Uh, I think uh, anytime you can bring, you know, visibility as well as, you know, talent, obviously as a coach uh, to a university, it's, 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 it's a positive for the school. Um, definitely appreciative of the, the coaches who have, you know, continued to build the program in, in the past few years here. But um, I think it's going to be good for the school, right? I think we've already seen, you know, with some of the publicity and some of the you know, transfers and recruits and things like that. But at the, at the end of the day, it really comes down to, you know, can that, can that guy motivate people, right? You know, you can get the right guys in there and, and not have the, the motivator, or the, you know, the person that can really run a program. He just really seems like he has uh, kind of that factor that that's able to motivate and, you know, rally the troops. And I, and I think that's what we need at UCF, right? We, we, we're always going to have the talent. We're always going to have the speed. We're always going to have the, you know, the recruits and things of that nature, at least now, right, to where, I think if we can just get somebody that can keep everybody excited out there and having fun, uh, and he, he really seems like the the mold that that's kind of been working for the last few years here, right? To just just make sure the guys are enjoying themselves and and really want to be out there, and and I think the fans and the, and the city will kind of rally, continue to rally behind us, and uh, I think it'll be really good. I really do. I think we're going to be uh, where we want to be, conference wise and wins wise and rankings wise here for the for the next uh, the next few years. We had uh, Doug Gabriel on a few weeks ago, uh, and he mentioned that uh, for a while he personally, this was just his his opinion, he felt like maybe he wasn't or some of the former players weren't as welcome the last couple of years around UCF. Did did you experience anything like that? And, and do you have any plans? I know we've seen now, we've seen a bunch of guys who are now out of practice and stuff. Do you have any plans to maybe try to make it down and, and uh, watch practice? Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't, I don't – I, I didn't go back. You know, obviously we got Doug and, and guys like that. I love Doug to death. Uh, he was somebody that helped me out quite a bit, you know, all throughout my career right now. I mean, I think they see it a little bit more, right? Because they're, you know, when, when you're when you're in the city, you can, you know, you have a little bit more access. So it was really only coming back a lot of the time for the games and things like that. And obviously, I would go see Mary and, and the training staff, things like that, as much as possible when I'd come back. But um, so, you know, I, I obviously could never speak on someone else's experiences and what they went through. Um, but for me, I think it was just more of a disconnect than anything, right? I think when the uh, once we lost kind of the coaching staff that we were familiar with. Uh, I think there could have been a better effort maybe to, you know, to, to kind of something, right? I don't know if it's an event and I don't, I'm, I had no solution for this, right? I don't know how you do something like that, but, but just, just making sure that kind of the, the transfer of power, uh, for lack of a better phrase, um, you know, Hey, hey these are the new guys. Let's, let's, let's all meet up and maybe do something to where it just felt like 
you knew everybody one day and then you didn't know anybody the next day. So I didn't, it's never like anybody told me or made me feel uncomfortable. I didn't know, right. I didn't know anybody. And I think there was really no, no way to, to figure out if we were still welcome, if that makes sense. And by the time, you know, people started trying, it, it was even more, you know, new staff. So I've always felt welcome in the building, right. Cause you know, like I said, as long as Mary and the team was there. So I've never felt as if, you know, someone was shooting me away, but at the same time, I just, I, I felt like I could have known, the new guys a little better, right? The new coaching staffs, and, and that's gone for a couple of different staffs. And they've all done a great job. And at the end of the day, that's what I'm happy about. But uh, but I think there's uh, there's probably better ways to engage, and, and I think we can help figure those out as well as, as former players. Well, we appreciate you've been very generous with your time. So we uh, we end every interview around here with uh, a couple of quick fun questions. Could be about music, movies, sports. Uh, could be anything at all. So uh, so here's sure. my first one for you. If you were in a bit of a sticky situation and you needed a getaway driver, someone to get you out of someplace in a hurry, who were you going to call to be your getaway driver? So is this is this someone like on the UC? Yeah, form, <laughs> former teammate. Which former teammate do you okay. want as your getaway driver? Okay. Um, uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this off by saying the rest in peace. Uh, he's no longer with us, but uh, Breon Rogers would 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 be the first person. Uh, the first person there, without a doubt, uh, you can call Brian at any time, anywhere. Uh, he wouldn't ask any questions, and he was known to speed uh, a little <laughs> bit as well. And he, he'd get there, you'd get there quickly. So uh, I say for sure it would have been uh, Brian Rodgers. All right, we're running a March Madness tournament right now. I know you've seen the plays, uh, the greatest plays in UCF history. What, in your opinion, is the greatest play we've ever had? Oof, if I had to go with the greatest play that we've ever had, uh, oh, man, I think I've got to go with the motion. Um, it, it's got to be the Mike Hughes uh, return against USF. Um, I don't know if I've ever screamed that loud. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever run around my house while watching the game like I was there. Um, I think just the culmination of who it was, the timing of it in the game, what had just happened, uh, I think that – that to me was probably the most excited I've ever been while watching the game. Um, if I had to pick a number two and a number three, I'd go with uh, the JJ Warden catch as, as maybe a two slash three or, uh, oof, I don't even know about the next one. Maybe those, those are probably my top two. And again, for me, it's not even necessarily the, it, it, the, the catch was ridiculous. It, that's just physics alone that put that in the top two. But but the excitement behind that, that return against USF is probably, probably I'd say, the it the greatest play. I think that is going to end up winning the whole thing. I think that's a clear favorite right now. Yeah, I'd say. And I, honestly, I've, 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 I'm watching them kind of on the, I think it's on the UCF the, uh, football Facebook page, but I don't know what the order is, to be honest. But I, I think that's probably, I think that one should win, if I'm being honest. All right, well, real March Madness is going on now, the basketball tournament. Um, all of our brackets are probably uh, really messed up right now. Uh, who do you have winning uh, winning it all in the, the basketball tournament? Yep, so I had Illinois, so I'm I'm, I'm pretty much done. Uh, I'm in a, a bracket with a bunch of the old guys, uh, kind of like Ian Bastillo and a lot of those guys. Um, they, they do one every year. Rocky's in it. So uh, they, they made fun of me yesterday once <laughs> that was kind of – over with, but we don't have many people that are still alive in it, uh, that either. So we'll see. But yeah, I had Illinois winning it all. I'm usually a, a Carolina guy, but I was able to uh, predict them to getting out pretty early, like they did. Unfortunately, it hurt my heart to have to do it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I was I was wrong as well. So we'll see who comes out on top. But it's definitely not going to be me. <laughs> you have one of the coolest names I can remember ever for a UCF football player. 
How did you get your name? Do you know the story behind it? How your parents came up with that? Um, yes and no. It's weird. So uh, my, I'm actually, we're the only Rashad's in our family. Uh, my dad actually changed his name to Sharif Abdul Rashad. Um, <clears throat> his, uh, he was born Jesse Simmons. So we've got kind of a, a bunch of Simmons and, and some Rashad's, right? We're a little, a little different. Um, but I don't know the full story behind it. We do know that it was kind of after my dad was uh, deployed overseas and he came back and changed his name. And I don't know if he's ever planning on telling us why we've asked before, um, but we have no clue. Um, my dad's actually, a, he's a pastor, a Christian. So, it, you know, a lot of people think it has something to do with, you know, obviously, you know, a certain religion and I, I don't want to say certain religion, like, you know, having it was associated with being Muslim or something of that nature. Has nothing to do with it. Uh, Sharif Abdul Rashad was just the name that he chose, but uh, obviously that's it's not religious because he's a pastor in a different, you know, a different uh, religion. But yeah, I actually do not know. I just know that uh, he changed his name, Sharif Abdul Rashad, and, and named me after him. So um, if we ever figure it out, maybe we can use some type of an update. <laughs> All right, what was your favorite spot to get food when you were in Orlando? Did you have a go-to spot where if you needed a good meal, oh, it, yeah, you had no, a place? I was, I was, I was there. I don't know if anybody else says they were the original Hughes guy that lying. Um, I started the Hugh McGrew's train because I mean, if you remember that that uh, that year was the year that when they opened, it was basically when we got to Orlando. Um, I, I'm literally still friends with most of the people from the Hugh Magoo staff to this day. <laughs> like I hang out with them. I know where they live because we, we were that close. Um, even in my off season, when I was playing for the giants, uh, I would, when I was training at UCF in the off season, I would work at Hugh Magoo's just for fun. They weren't paying me nothing like that. I would literally just like wipe the tables down to suck, hang out there all day and get free food. Um, so for sure, that's where, where we went. And I remember we got in trouble once Coach O'Leary called us out of practice because some of the parents, uh, some of the fans, I should say, had seen, you know, they said they saw me, Bruce and Terrell at Hebrews every day because we legitimately went <laughs> every day. Uh, it was at one point where he was, they actually did, did the math and they looked at how many times I'd been there and how much money I had spent over my UCF career. And I think it was in like the $4,000 range. It was ridiculous, but for sure it was, it was what was your what's your go to order? Uh, just fried plate, double fries, no slaw. <laughs> When's the last and time you, you can't even you can't even say it like that now? Now it's like a dinner plate, fried. It's different, but at the time it was just a fried plate with double fries and no slaw. <laughs> When's the last time you've been back to to Huey's? Uh, uh, it wasn't that long ago. I was actually in Orlando uh, last year, so uh, yeah, I'd probably say probably seven or eight months ago, maybe. But anytime I'm in Orlando, I 100 percent go uh, at least twice. Well, we, we appreciate right, taking some. Your... Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Just one more. What's your favorite holiday? We just had St. Patrick's Day. Do you favor Thanksgiving, Christmas? What's your favorite one? Well, St. Patrick's Day is actually my brother's birthday, so it's definitely not St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> um, I'll probably go with I'll probably go with Thanksgiving. I like to eat and kind of being able to be around family, sit and eat and sleep. Uh, that's about that's about as, as ideal as a holiday gets for me. Yeah, that's my favorite. And actually, now that you mentioned birthdays, I think when I looked you up today, your birthday is October 6th. Is that right? It is. It is. Mine's October 5th. You just oh, man. It. You just, just edged me out. It's okay. <laughs> I, had to get the, I had to get the read first, like playing golf. I let you I let you show me the way, and then I came in right after. Well, yeah, I got a couple of years on you, too. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you said Thanksgiving, it's an old debate that Mike and I always have. So when I have my Thanksgiving dinner plate, 
I don't, my foods don't touch. Like I got my, I got my turkey here. I got my, my potatoes next to it. I got my stuffing next to it. I got whatever else. Like they, they don't touch. They're all perfectly, you know, spaced out on my plate. Mike just puts everything together like a big pile, mashes it all up and eats it. How, how do you eat your Thanksgiving plate? So this is, I mean, this is, this applies, this applies to Thanksgiving for sure. But to me, it's more, it applies to all foods. Cause I'm the same way. Like, but, but it's weird. Sometimes they can touch and sometimes they can't. So if it's like rice, corn, right? If there are things that don't run, I don't care if they touch, but if it's like gravy, right. Or if it's like a sauce or something like that, then I don't want that running into my other food. Cause if it's dry, it can, I, mean, I just don't want it to be dry, but yeah, as long as it's not something that's liquid, I don't mind if it touches. So like syrup, I don't want my syrup to touch any of my other food other than the pancakes, but I don't care if the hash browns and the bacon touch. Right. So same thing with Thanksgiving, as long as it's not like a gravy or something like that, I didn't mind if they touched. Because the whole point of this, the gravy is to put it on the dry stuff. No, no. The gravy is for individual items. The gravy <laughs> can go like on the mashed potatoes or the gravy can go on the biscuit. The gravy is not just a universal topping for all of my, all of my food. No, I think you're wrong on that one. I think it was a good <laughs> answer. I think it was a good answer, personally. I, I like his answer. I think it was a really good answer. Uh, and obviously, a really good conversation, Sharif. We appreciate you taking so much time to uh, to talk about your UCF career. And we thank you for taking uh, you know taking a bunch of time out of your day today. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a chance to catch up with you soon. And uh, uh, we'll always, uh, hopefully, you know, be able to, to keep rooting you on no matter what you do. And uh, obviously, you're, you're a night legend for a reason. So we appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. I appreciate you guys. I'll continue to listen. You do a great job. Uh, it's really good to hear, you know, the stories from, from a lot of the guys and you, you do a great job covering UCF and we appreciate you. So, uh, thank you for having me and, uh, have a great day. Go Knights. Thanks a lot, Sherry. Go Knights. I'm Jeff Allen. Join me each week for unique yet common sense opinions on sports on the Jeff Allen sports talk podcast. We will break down the sports world minus the hot takes with prominent guests and my stable of sports guys. It's sports conversation the way it should be. Search Jeff Allen Sports Talk wherever you get your podcasts or go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. There are cows among us. Adam and Mike will tell you who. All right, back by popular demand, and really by popular demand, I mean Mike and I like to do this part. It's Cow of the Week. If you're new to that uh, particular phenomenon, uh, obviously our, our rivals to the West are the cows. Uh, cows are not intelligent animals. Cows are not intelligent places to go to school. And so in this particular segment, Mike, we talk about something, someone that took place that we think is Cow of the Week worthy, something that made us laugh, made us shake our head, a whole bunch of different things. That's how it works around here now that you got the game all figured out. Mike, is uh, always the man who leads us off with his first pick. So the cow of the week for you, Mike, is whom? Uh, well, I saw today people are getting very excited on the Internet about free donuts. Krispy Kreme has decided to give out a free donut every day if you have the COVID-19 vaccine and – well, it sounds like a good thing in theory. You're getting a, a free donut. People that are that excited about it, they're going to go every day. I mean, if you're not going to die from COVID, you're going to die from diabetes, obesity. I mean, this is not a good thing for you. <laughs> Let's face it. You're going to go there. You're going to get one free one. You're probably going to buy four more or five, whatever. You're going to make it into a dozen. Um, this is, it sounds like one of those things that sounds like a great idea at first, but when you really think about it, 
probably the worst thing that can happen to you. Now going into this place every single day and getting the donut. And I love Krispy Kreme. Remember when we were sitting in class one time? Uh, we had class with some football players, and I forgot who it was. They, they were talking about the Krispy Kreme donuts, and one guy broke into dance just thinking about it. Um, <laughs> do you remember who that guy was? I think it too, yeah. Was it Travis Fisher? I remember <clears throat> Travis Fisher. I always thought it was Will. I always associate that with Willie D. Will Davis. Uh, I don't know if it was Willie Davis. I think those guys used to always talk about Willie D. I don't, I don't know if Willie D was. That's fair. I actually Willie don't know D. if he was in that class, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, Krispy Kreme. I mean, I, it's a genius idea by them. Sucking in all the fat guys to go in there and scarf down a free donut. And, and you know, they're going to be buying more donuts while they're in there. But slow down, people. If you're too excited about this, you may turn into, you actually may turn into a cow, not just of the week, but cow. Um, your whole body will, will turn into a cow-like substance if you have one of these every single day. So, that's like a, good luck. That's like a dark turn. Um, yeah, I mean, health and fitness advice from your your good friend UCF Mike. Obviously, if you're training for the Sons of UCF team on the uh, virtual 5K, Mike very much wants you to stay away from Chris McKay, Matt. Do I have that right? Yeah, especially if you're on the Sons of UCF team and you're going to be you know competing with us. Uh, get off the hammocks and and stop walking like Trace. Don't oh boy, here we go shop. again. Every time you do this, and somehow <laughs> I get blamed for it uh, when we get to the live show. And every time it's you, and I swear, and then you say it's me, and I don't remember if I actually said it or not. But this time it was. I'm absolutely remembering it was Mike who said that. Mike. Yeah. Mike. I wasn't gonna mention the race at all, I and mean, you just brought it up, and uh, and it triggered something in there. Okay. I don't think I mentioned it at all last week, but um, yeah, I've been training hard, man. I'm ready <laughs> to to put this team on my back. And if you're on the Suns team, stay away from the Krispy Kreme. So uh, if you got vaccinated, that's great. You know, you're, you're doing your part for society. But I don't think you need to uh, hurt your own self by going down and, and straight from the vaccination and going and pick up a couple donuts. Maybe after you run the race, as a, as a reward, get yourself a donut, right? As a yeah. Have a treat, a post-game treat for all your hard work. You know, maybe go grab yourself a donut. What do you, I mean, maybe that works out. That's fine. Hey, look, you want a free donut? Go get one. I'm not saying you shouldn't go get one. Don't go get one every day because they're giving one away every single day if you want it. That's where you get in trouble. Go get a donut here and there once a month or whatever. Treat yourself. Don't go overboard with it, which I see some people are getting very excited about. And I think I, I, I'm fearing that they may actually do that. Okay. Health, health and fitness advice uh, from UCF Mike. Always gold. Um, me, I'm going to go Cow of the Week for the NCAA. You could probably pick this one every week if you really, 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 really wanted to. But uh, this week, Mike, uh, the NCAA tournaments broke off. Uh, the men's uh, tournament uh, started on Friday. The women's tournament started on Sunday. And uh, uh, the teams had to travel into the respective bubble cities, if you will, to, to get tested in quarantine so they could play. Uh, and so the men's team arrived a couple of days, and then the women's team arrived. And all of a sudden... Uh, social media pictures started making the rounds of the weight rooms, uh, the respective weight facilities that had been constructed for the players. Uh, both of them looked like they were in hotel room, ballroom situations, which makes some sense. That's probably where they're staying. And the men's team had racks and, uh, you know, they had, they had dumbbells, they had plates, you know, they had ellipticals, they had treadmills. You know, they had some, uh, I think I saw some medicine balls, maybe some kettlebells. They had a really nice setup. Like, it was all socially distanced. There was benches, you know, all, all kinds of good stuff. Looks like a really formidable, a really, uh, a really good weight room to be built on the fly like that, right? Well, then the women get to their facility, and uh, social media start making the rounds. Like, they had one rack of dumbbells, 
and I think it only went up to 15 pounds if I was looking at those dumbbells correctly. They literally had one rack of dumbbells, uh, and, and that was it. And so obviously that made the rounds in social media. And luckily some some organizations, some companies were stepping up. I saw Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, I saw Equinox Gym. I saw a bunch of places were kind of volunteering or kind of putting some stuff together to, to send out to San Antonio for the, for the women's teams uh, to be able to have some fitness equipment. And then at Story's App Ending, that fitness equipment arrives, and it turns out they ended up with a pretty nice setup. They had a lot of different equipment that was available for their use, Mike. But why does it take social media for that to take place that, um, that they can't do better than a rack of dumbbells? I mean, that's just – I don't know what the heck the NCAA was thinking. They're probably not thinking very much at all. But that was just, that was just silly, silly, dumb, stupid. Uh, and everybody involved in that decision should uh, – should, could absolutely be called to the carpet as cow of the week. Calling it a rack of dumbbells, I think is being generous. I saw is that generous. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it then, I guess. Yeah. There, there were like six dumbbells <laughs> and we're talking about how many women there, how many teams, 64 teams, what 12 to 15 girls per team. Yep. Do the math. That's like uh one dumbbell for every, I don't know, 300 people or something, something ridiculous like that. What are they thinking? Well, obviously, they're not thinking. Right? Um, you know how training plays such a big part in, in these kids and these athletes. Every day they, they train and they they utilize things like this and to not have it available to them where I, I got to think these tournaments are saving money on travel and all that stuff. The teams are there and they're staying there. It can't hurt to have a uh, a nice setup. And now it's probably gifted to them by some of these places like Dick's. And, uh, I mean, the NCAA can do better, man. And the kids deserve better. So. <laughs> yeah, it was just – Hopefully they learned a lesson. It was just silly dumb, like like how, how that got overlooked. Obviously, it was planned for on the men's side. They had a bunch of equipment that was already there. Uh, how that gets overlooked um, I just is beyond me, uh, in, in, especially in, in – you know the the biggest tournament of of the year, right? It isn't like it was like a little you know three team tournament someplace, and it, it was the sixty four team tournament. The, the The women's teams went through the exact same pro- COVID protocols and all the other stuff as the men's teams. You know they had to play under the exact same conditions all season long, and to to somehow somebody was like, oh, did we get them any equipment? Nah, we're good. Um, that that just I I don't I don't understand how how that operates. Um, and yeah, it, it was just I'm I'm glad it got rectified. But it, it certainly is one of those things that, that made you scratch your head. And, and probably the NCAA could be Cow of the Week uh, uh, any week, really, if you think about it. And they claimed that it was because of lack of space. And then the, the girl that filmed the video showed how much space there was. It was in a giant ballroom with nothing in it. Yes. And it could have fit 10 LA fitnesses in that space. And yet there was about six dumbbells. So. What's, your, uh, what's your favorite piece of gym equipment? Um, you know, I haven't been to the yeah. actual gym in a year now. Yeah, me either. So my wife won't let me go. Um, that my gym is really cool too, because we got all kinds of really cool stuff. They even added in monkey bars that go, they, they go higher and across as you go. I like those. I, we, we even had the rope. I used to climb the rope. I do all kinds of stuff. That giant tire flipping around yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> my favorite, I, I mean, I don't know. It, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of like the the sledgehammer hitting the tire and, yeah. and flipping the tire. That, uh, that's fun. And, and you know, what I got into too last year. 
before COVID started was was hitting the the heavy bag. Heavy bag, yeah. Putting yeah. putting the gloves on and hitting the heavy bag. That, that was always a good workout too. When I used to work out outside uh, at my last fitness place in South Florida, we had like a, we had like a sled you would push. So you put like you know a, a 45, 245 pound plates on the thing, you know, two big handles, and you had to push the thing across the field and. Yeah, high handles, the low handles. That was a that was a quad burner, but I always enjoyed that one. That was always fun. Yeah. Oh, you know what else? Cool piece of equipment too. My gym has it's called something called the Frogger. Have you ever heard one of these things? Um, describe it, maybe. It's, um, it's like two axles with wheels, right? And you got one bar where you put your hands, and you got yes, some yeah. feet things that you put in, and you kind of yeah, yeah, like uh, how do you describe? You just push yourself across the floor that way, or you drag yourself. With, yeah. It's pretty cool. Google it. The Frogger. Yep. It's interesting. It's a it's a total body exercise. It's kind of like a uh, uh, like a steroided version of like an ab wheel. You know what I mean? <laughs> but but you you are the ab wheel. You are the actual wheel in that in that particular machine. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I don't see a lot of gyms have that. That's a, that's a good one. My my current place uses these uh, these sliders. Uh, the floor there is carpeted, so you you put these sliders on your feet, and you have to kind of. Uh, you know, get in like a, a bear crawl situation and slide across these sliders. It's a, a, another quad burner. I'm not a big fan of those. Yeah. Yeah, uh, man. I, now that we're talking about it, I, I realize how much I miss my gym because all I have now is my Peloton and I got some free weights here. I do some other things with, but uh, yeah, that, that gym is, is pretty good. It's right, right next to my house. I pass it every day and I haven't been in there in a year. Is it, is it available to be, to be open or is it, is yeah. that a roll down there still? No, it's open. It's open. My wife doesn't doesn't feel comfortable about me going back in there, so I've stayed away. Well, that's the that's the the smart thing to do, Mike. Obviously, you're coming up on a 10 year anniversary. You don't get to that point without doing smart things when your wife tells you not to do dumb things. That's how that's how that situation works. But uh, another another fantastic uh, episode. Uh, appreciate everyone who's taken uh, the time to listen to it. Hopefully, you enjoyed that interview with Sharif Rashad. Hopefully, you enjoy the stroll down memory lane that was the. Uh, uh, the best plays in UCF history bracket again, courtesy of UCF Mike. Uh, spring stuff is still continuing on with the football team. Uh, we still have some baseball stuff happening, some other sports. So we will we will continue to stay all over that for you up until spring game. And don't forget Thursday night, Sons of UCF Live with Mike, myself, and Mr. Trace Trelko. We have all kinds of different guests and uh, we have interview clips and all kinds of good stuff. So check us out live Thursday, wherever you get your social media stuff on the internet, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, again, a big thanks to, uh, to everyone out there listening, following, supporting, rating. You guys are the best. We couldn't do it without you. And, uh, and we'll be back and maybe better than ever next week, Mike. So until then, everybody have a fantastic week and go Knights. Charge on. Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.